0: You're listening to episode 142 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives.
1: Guys, I have a new product that we should market that I have a really good idea and good feeling about.
0: All right, pitch it.
1: Okay. Do you say bitch it? Pitch it. Okay. It's Shark Tank. Come on. Yeah, okay, here we go. Okay, so I've noticed recently that Gamer Girl Bathwater has been really popular and really fresh. I had a new idea. Gamer Boy Bathwater. Pete, you need to start bottling and selling your bathwater. I mean, what anything to turn a buck, man. I, I'm confident in you. I think you can sell it.
0: You, That's nasty. Do you
1: have the formula down? Because I know you've been buying the Gamer Girl Bathwater for yourself.
2: You know what, Sean, I'm I just going to cut this off at the legs here. I feel like lately this show has been feeling a little bit crowded. I think we should get rid of Phil and bring on an old friend. What do you think about that?
0: Uh, that sounds great to me. Who do you have in mind?
2: You know, I was thinking uh, you know, one of the uh, hottest up-and-coming comics writers out there today, Mr. Christopher Sabella.
0: Hello? Whoa, he's
2: there. <laughs> oh, my he God. Him. We were just talking about you. I know, right? <laughs>
0: he right, sidestepped
1: so, the Gamer Girl bathwater and conjured Chris Sabella. It's a pretty impressive day for Pete.
2: Yeah, man. I mean, I'm on my A-game this morning.
0: That's part one, but then how do we get rid of Phil?
2: I still haven't figured that out. 140-some-odd episodes in. Can't get rid of this guy.
0: <laughs> You're not going to get rid of me. That's absurd. Well, uh, so I I came up with a plan to uh, join half or half a million people in America and storm Area 51 and I felt like there was no better person to join us in that crusade than Christopher Sabella. So thank you for joining us. Welcome to the show. Always a pleasure to have you, man.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me back. Damn, that's a good intro for him.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think if there was any comic book writer ready to storm Area 51, I could see you doing that, Chris. You're into the weird.
3: That's literally, like, the basis of, like, the first comics pitch I ever wrote. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is that that's true? so
2: perfect.
1: Was it a self-insert? <laughs>
3: uh basically yeah uh but no yeah it's uh i finally like gave up on uh on on it like i think last year i was like this isn't gonna go anywhere like i've been trying that thing for like the last eight years so uh so yeah no you're totally on point wow (laughs) that's my brand. awesome
0: (laughs) i threw that out there um (laughs) yeah no you nailed it (laughs) (laughs) good job so, it's it's been a little while since we spoke to you, but uh, you've got a lot of really fun things going on. For example, next week, you're going to be going to San Diego Comic-Con. Mmm, yeah. That's one of the less fun things. But. How excited are <laughs> you? <laughs> uh,
3: so terrible. Like, yeah, I hate it, uh, and I don't want to go, But, but I said that if I ever got nominated for the only way I'd ever go back is if I got nominated for an Eisner again and then I got nominated for an Eisner or crowded did. So um so yeah, now I'm forced to go. Uh which sucks. Like <laughs> I, it. I just wish I could stay home and just hang out with my dog and not go to that show. But uh I bought the ticket. Uh, I'm taking the ride. So
2: that's that's like such a great like uh like rule though, you're like oh, i'll only go if i get eyes nominated right like that's gonna happen And then you did it's like great oh fuck now i have to go to san diego <laughs> yeah no that was
3: that was like the second set of emotions after the elation of of realizing we got nominated was like ah oh, fuck now i gotta go
0: <laughs> well it's gotta be cool right that crowded is is uh nominated for an Eisner oh
3: yeah no, it's super cool. Like I, I, I remember when the Eisners got announced. Like I opened up the page and I was like, "Okay, let's see who, who got this instead of us." And uh, and then I was like, "Wait, what?" Um, I was like, "Oh man, that's us." Uh, yeah, it was super. <laughs> like it, the whole thing was just odd. Like uh, yeah, I was not expecting to get nominated at all. Um,
0: so it's been very bizarre. Yeah. No, I think when I saw it, I was like. Oh, yeah, that makes total sense, because I don't think about the Eisner's too much. But then when yeah. I saw the announcement, I was like, oh, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. This book's been fantastic. It's easily one of the best new books out, one of the best books out, period. So um, it, it's it's awesome. And I know that uh, Ted and Roe are super excited, and you guys yeah. are very deserving. So I hope you guys take it.
3: Uh, it'd be nice. Like, we're up against some pretty stiff competition. So I don't think any of us is like, we got this. Uh, so, you know, I'm just going, if we do win, that'll be super cool. And I would feel stupid if we won and I wasn't there. Um, and if we don't, then, you know, uh, I at least get to see like, uh, or hear my name announced to a room full of comics people. So they have to at least hear my name once. (laughs) Whether they want to or not, they're going to hear
0: it. (laughs) <laughs> awesome man, yeah, uh, we will be paying very close attention uh next Saturday when that announcement goes down. or is it is it Friday Saturday or is it Friday Friday yeah, Friday night. Cool yeah. so we'll actually be able to talk about it on the show. Yeah. so in the meantime, crowded number seven came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got the issue right here. Um, I loved it um i don't think the last time we spoke to you i'm not sure if the entire run was out i don't think it was or at least the first first volume, i don't think yeah uh it was awesome man really really fun thanks i was just gonna say i feel like with issue seven you guys really stepped it up
3: oh yeah no i feel like everybody like really leveled up for seven um and i think just because like now that we're sort of through volume one and we kind of laid all the groundwork it's like okay cool like we did all the heavy like you know the not that it was unfun but it's like okay this is all the stuff we have to do and now that we've set up all the pieces now we can just kind of let them go and see where they go uh so yeah it's just been uh uh really exciting like because ted and roe are like They get better with every issue, and Triona is great, and uh, Cardinal, and, like, I think I'm getting pretty good at it, so, um, yeah, no, it's the most fun book that I work on. Like, I'm always excited to sit down and write a script for that and see
0: pages come in. So, can you talk to me a little bit about the star of Crowded, which, you know, a lot of books, you would assume it's the, the primary protagonist that everyone talks about the most, but in this book, it's actually extremely specific. Vita's arms. Yes. The most popular portion of Crowded is absolutely the arms of Vita. And in issue seven, I feel like you put out an edict that Vita's arms needed to be front and center.
3: Yeah, no, like, it's... Uh, like, that's the second arc. is That's the breakout character, <laughs> is, is Vita... Vita's very buff arms. Um, <laughs> and I think to some extent, Charlie's thighs. Um, yeah, I, but noticed I feel like Charlie's later.
2: thighs were already the, you know, the star of the first arc, so.
3: Yeah, no, well, I just uh, looked over a cover yesterday for like issue 11 and uh, those like both were prominently on display. So, um, yeah, no, I think we're just, uh, you know, like now that we've we've. We're just having fun with them now. Like, now that you know who they are, now we can, like, start sort of uh, goofing around with them a little bit. Like, there's a whole... Issue 8 has a whole fashion montage, so...
2: Oh, that's um, fun.
3: Like, yeah, we're just kind of, like... Like, we know them and we love them now, and now we're just, like, sort of... uh, Yeah, we're sort of mildly in control of them, so we get to do, like, all the stuff we wanted to do in the first arc and more, so... So, yeah, Vita's arms come out. Uh, just everything's going to start getting a bit more
2: uh,
3: loosey-goosey and, and uh, exploratory, I
2: guess. So, was it was it fun to get to play in, like, a new setting for the second arc? Because, obviously, you know, mild spoilers, I guess, for the, the first arc um, that you're, you know, moving the characters out of L.A. finally. Um, was that something that you were, like, looking forward to going into this arc?
3: Yeah. Like, it was tough because... Uh, um, I, I wanted it to feel, I, I don't know. I didn't want it to just be a book about two ladies in a car. So the toughest part of the second arc was like, okay, I have to get them out of this car. Um, <laughs> I have to like start, you know, I mean, I think like like one of the main edicts of like road trip films or, you know, things in that dimension are like, you know, things have to get interesting Um, or by way of getting, like, rougher. So first thing you do is, like, take away the comfort. So car is gone. So now they have to take, like, an Elon Muskian train to Vegas. Um, And then, yeah, Vegas is going to be a complete uh, head screw for them. So, yeah, it's just like, okay, cool. Like, now, uh, you know, it was always heading this direction. Like, it's always been, like, sort of a road trip buddy comedy in my head so um hopefully by the end of the book we we cover the whole united states
2: so So was there a reason that you chose vegas as the second location i think that it was close enough and big enough that we could still
3: do some wild stuff um but it's completely different vibe wise from la like um And yeah, I don't know, thinking about like what Vegas in the future would be like was always kind of an interesting, uh, it was an interesting challenge for me trying to be like, okay, like knowing what I know about Vegas now, like what will it be like uh, in this future that we've established? So um, yeah, I don't know. It just seemed like a fun second, yeah, I don't know. Uh, It just sort of popped into my head and it's like, okay, that way we can sort of keep the stakes sort of high, have a lot of people, but also a completely different place. But as we go along, like we're not just going to bounce from like giant city to giant city. Um, And the second arc actually is is two arcs. Um, So the Vegas part is the first half and then there'll be something else in the second half of this second arc where they they move on to somewhere else um so so hopefully like we cover all our gamuts like we get a lot of uh uh punny crowded places and then we get a lot of like deserted type places i just kind of want to explore what this um, or what my vision of like this america in the future is like
2: yeah when you said that um that you're not gonna just bounce from city to city i'm excited to hear you say that because there was um I i think it's in the second or third issue it's fairly early on in the book uh where, you know, the two main characters are talking and they're talking about, like, getting out of L.A. and how, like, it's civilized there and outside. Like, everybody's got guns and it's way more wild. Sure. And I was really, like, hoping that we would get to see a little bit more of that and get to explore, like, how the future has affected, like, less urbanized areas and areas that are, like, less developed in general, you know? Yeah.
3: Um And honestly, like, I don't think it's going to be that different. You know, I think it's also... Uh, you develop sort of a uh. Even though Vita and Charlie are both transplants, like I think they've both been in California long enough to have that sort of uh, unearned um arrogance about like the same as like people (laughs) who who've lived in New York for six months and are like, yeah, I'm a New Yorker. Like uh, these you know these middle ground you know flyover states and stuff. And I grew up in the Midwest, so like. Um, I live on the West coast now and I can definitely, I've definitely like felt some of that creeping in. So, um, you know, I want to give, uh, at least like credence to the rest of the country that like, it's basically all the same. Uh, it's just, you know, uh, everything's a little slightly different, but you know, just cause there's way less people in Iowa city doesn't mean like it's any less interesting than what's going on in LA. It's just slower and you got to wait a lot longer to get the weird shit that you could get
0: in an hour in LA. One of the things that I, I really love about Crowded, but not just Crowded, like you've had a slate of books recently that are so um, there's they're, they're interesting sci-fi. And it really reminds me of, I mean, like, you know, the obvious stuff, like Twilight Zone or Black Mirror, stuff that's like, like just five seconds, five minutes into the future. And I love that you get to play with You know, what could this be like? What's technology like in the future and stuff like that? But what I really love about Crowded specifically is that because it's kind of, at least it looks like it's going to be longer form. We're getting to see more than just, well, here's these characters in a specific situation, in a specific location for five issues. Let's see what this plays out across, you know, I don't know, 20 issues. And, and I like that longer form storytelling with that model.
3: Yeah. And I I feel like, it. yeah, it, it will only be 100% successful if, like, you can see, like, here's what Charlie and Vita are like when you meet them. And then, like, you know, uh, definitely, like, Vita goes through some changes in the second arc um, and sort of starts to um, adopt some of Charlie's uh, uh, lifestyle choices, I guess. Yeah. Um, or at least like some of her sort of uh, uh, a blase-ness so like and that wouldn't be at all interesting unless you saw like how tightly wound via was in the first arc and yeah i don't know like it's it's you know like the concept i love the concept and i think it's super cool but like i i didn't sell this book i i got this book rejected by at least one publisher uh who is just like, yeah, concept's cool, but I don't know like why we're supposed to care. Um like so the book's I mean, it's about Charlie and Vita. Like the concept is just the cool like entryway into it, but unless unless these two characters were like interesting enough to follow, who who gives a shit really?
2: Yeah, yeah, and I think, like, that's, I think that's why the book works so well for me, is that's always the kind of stuff that speaks to me the most, where, at, like, at its heart, it's it's character-driven, but the world is interesting, and there's layers to, like, the, you know, I guess, like, the wider lore of it that mm. I'm interested in peeling back, so it's like, well, not only am I interested in seeing, like, how do, the how does the relationship between Charlie and Vita develop, but also, like, Where are they going to go? What are they going to do? What's the next misadventure they're going to find? And what is that going to teach me about your vision of this, you know, near future America? And like, that's, it it plays into itself really well in that way. But I think you're definitely right that it's the fact that the characters have, they have a good dynamic. Like you said, it's like that buddy cop, like, you know, she, uh, uh, Charlie's, you know, kind of out there and outgoing and Vita's more reserved and there's friction there, but they're a good pair
3: yeah and you know it's it's all the stuff that like we don't know about them that's like hopefully is what is keeping people uh at least slightly interested in them and like i don't know like i know all about them and sort of what makes them tick and it's just trying to figure out you know how people honestly well to some degree honestly like reveal this stuff to each other like crowded is a situation that like ideally none of us will have to go through so but it's very different than you know normal life so um it's sort of testing that concept but in a much more high stress situation of like you know uh these two women both are carrying a bunch of secrets around that they don't like to talk about and how does it come out while you know they're sort of constantly trying to be murdered and figure out like why
2: i i definitely feel like that's been effective because i feel like There's a lot of the, like, kind of – I feel like there's a lot of quiet moments in the book. Like, it's, like, at nighttime when they're, like, kind of, like, decompressing at the end of the day and, like, evaluating what they've been through. And those are those moments where you get those kind of breakthroughs. And I think that is, you know, like, reminiscent of – like, you said, like, how people actually end up having – serious conversations with each other you know it is usually in those like wee hours when we're feeling a little bit more vulnerable you're tired you know like people have been trying to kill you all day
4: (laughs) yeah yeah
3: exactly yeah and I just yeah I wanted to make sure that that stuff felt like earned even though it's surrounded by completely ridiculous like action set pieces like um you know I want it to to always sort of come back to being like I really dug that action sequence, but I I really, really, I don't know. For me personally, like my favorite thing is just like writing the two of them talking and sort of figuring out how these two people manage to have a heart-to-heart, if that's even possible between them. So,
2: yeah. It's funny because I I totally like those are my favorite moments too. And especially like what you brought up the action scenes. There's a lot of great action and, um, you know, like – like so much credit to the art team we did an interview with them a while back too that you should definitely go check out um rowan are awesome and um but uh i i love how like whenever Vita does something badass charlie's like that was really cool because <laughs> like that feels authentic you know like she's yeah just no a normal that's basically
3: person. yeah that's me like seeing the pages come in it's like oh man that was so cool like (laughs) i legitimately every every time i get it get it in it's just like oh man this is so much better than i ever thought it would be so so charlie is my proxy and i was so pissed with charlie (laughs) (laughs) yeah no she just like that's that yeah. <laughs> Go no, ahead. I I you know, like I love Charlie but also she annoys the shit out of me. Like I but you know, like I that's kind of why I like I like writing her so much it's just that like she is I you know, like to her it all kind of makes sense but to everyone on the outside it's like Jesus Christ like um I don't know. Yeah, I just like uh, I've never written a character like sort of that brash and obnoxious, um, who just like kind of fully owns it. That's just like, yeah, I'm kind of a shit, but you know, it's like I gotta get by, so I'm gonna continue being a shit until it stops working for me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and and yet she remains lovable, kind of. Yeah, no, like she's not irredeemable. Like she
3: has her moments, but you know, she's definitely. I mean, like when I was first sort of pitching the book, like I described her as a, uh, uh, like if a manic pixie dream girl was real, it's um, like <laughs> s- how sort of toxic that cliche would be if it was an actual person. Um, and Charlie has definitely like changed since then, but I think like that's still at the heart of her DNA is like, oh, the like super random girl that like, you know, every schlub falls in love with in these movies. It's like, what if she was actually, like, in front of you? And it's like, how horrible would that be of, like, just somebody who's just, like, <laughs> so quirky and on the go and just, like, you know, like, what – I don't know. Just all the fallout that would come from from living a life like that.
0: People would crowdsource a way to murder you. Know? Yeah. Right? yeah.
2: <laughs> well, I, I loved the – the the introduction to her character in the first issue where like you see her and her like million side hustles and how she's just like this schemer, you know, and i feel like that's like what makes her so fun to follow. Like she is kind of a shit, but it's like you want to see what what she's yeah. going to get into.
3: Yeah, no, like um, yeah. Um like and i don't i don't think she's terrible. I've i've seen some people say like uh, or at least i read a review of Seven where someone was like well, if they were trying to get us to like Charlie in this, I don't know that they're doing a successful job. And it's like, yeah, no, that's not really my job to get you to like her. Like either you like her or you don't like, I'm just giving you more to work with. Um, so, so yeah, like I, I I don't know. Uh, I don't, you know, I find her likable even if she's horrible, but, uh, you know, I like the, the concept that like some people just like cannot stand her and some people like her the same way I do or they like her for they think she's completely perfect and like what's what's wrong with her? Uh, like why is everybody mad at her? So.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: do you have to get yourself tasered drunk to write her or what? No, I have been tasered. Well, not tasered. <laughs> I have been stun gunned before. Um, <laughs> what?
4: <Can laughs> you know, you're hanging can out we with hear friends. That story? <laughs>
3: It's not much of a story. I was just like hanging out with some friends and wanted, there was like a stun gun in the apartment. Um, <laughs> uh, cause it was one of those type of apartments. And I was like, yeah, I'll take it. Like, like just, just do it to me once. I just want to see what it's like. Like, and it was, uh, yeah. Uh, it was very it interesting. It still sounds like
1: you're, <laughs> oh my God, auditioning for Jackass or something. <laughs> yeah. No, this was pretty
3: ja- This was just like, yeah, uh, people who couldn't afford, um, to do anything else it's like well we have this um this will do something to me physically i guess like we can well, only smoke city. we can only smoke so much pot like uh now we have to move on the stun guns
0: <laughs> <laughs> what an upgrade <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah well you know it all turns out to be useful research in the end so
0: Oh, my God, that's crazy. Every time you come on this show, you give us you give us a nugget of your life. And it's just like, what is going on? I got some nuggets, yeah. Oh, man. Uh,
1: and and also, uh, again, writing her, did did you draw inspiration for yourself when she was posting on Set It or Bumbler or Little Bird?
3: Oh, yeah, no, like, there's a lot of, like, Charlie's, like, well, there's that scene in the train where when she does connect, and then she's just like a whirlwind of viciousness, and it's just like "fuck you," like block, block. Like I've, that's definitely me on on Twitter sometimes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I get, I get it. Um, so yeah, no, I have a long history with the internet. So uh, I've definitely been, been Charlie, am still Charlie, uh, a lot with the internet. Addicted to it, but also
2: realizing like I sometimes hate everything on it. It's kind of funny. I, I, I did want to just pull on that thread because I like how that's kind of true of both of the main characters, but they like it manifests in different ways. Like Charlie, like, has this love hate relationship with it, and you know, like Vita's like, like, a, like, in this world, like a basically like a Unabomber, you know, like just totally off the grid. Like, yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> uh yeah no like uh, it's sort of yeah like I would love to be in a position where I don't have to subject myself to the internet regularly um but I'm also like stupidly addicted to it so there's no chance in hell that'll happen like it's just sitting there on my laptop like all the time just waiting for me to like look at it instead of the work I should be doing so yeah, it's tough, but uh, you know it's uh, on the list of tough problems. It's pretty far fucking down, so don't <laughs> cry too much about it.
1: Kind of sounded like a horror script you're working on, honestly.
0: I have a horror internet script, but it's different. <laughs> okay. So the other another book I wanted to talk about was Shanghai Red because mm-hmm. that wrapped up um, since the last time we spoke. Yeah, and. The, oh man that was so awesome we loved that
1: yeah chris that book really ruled uh i just read that a few months ago um i think i think it's really hard to write a good revenge story because i guess i can't speak from because i haven't written a lot but i've read enough revenge stories to think like man kind of not good but Just, like, it it has, like, a real rhythm and a beat to it, Mm -hmm. and some of the dialogue in it, like, there was that one line where it's, like, so I don't want to spoil anything, but there was one line where Red says something to the effect of, like, uh, she had to die, but I also wanted her to die or something. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, oh, oh, Chris. Yeah, no, I mean, I wanted to,
3: you know, like, the genesis was just I wanted to write a really cool revenge story, but, you know, um for me, it has to mean something. Um, again, it's all about character stuff. So once I, you know, once I figured out sort of who red is, um, and what they're about at least enough to proceed, like, um, yeah, it was just sort of one of those cases where, you know, like red kind of took over and like, I just sort of knew like what would be the right thing or the wrong thing to do for them. So, um, yeah I wanted it to you know I wanted it to be a really cool uh revenge story set like in a time and a place that normally you don't have stories like that, but also I wanted it to like have a bit of an emotional oomph to it, otherwise it's just all in service of nothing like it's just like well, that'd be cool if somebody murdered a bunch of people, but like if it's all about nothing, then you know the moment you walk away, you've forgotten about it,
1: yeah i that's true, because there's plenty of things, there's plenty of media where that happens, but I, I also just really like, there's like a simplicity to the palette. One, uh, her name, or their name is Red, and there's a lot of red shading in it, and it's like when you are hell-bent on revenge, it's like, you know, the expression, you see red, like like a bull would, uh, it's like a very good visual metaphor for that story.
3: Yeah, no, it, it all worked out, um... Like that's certainly, I don't know that that's like, I don't know what I had in mind. Like when I came up with it, like, I certainly never thought I'd run into someone as good as Josh and like that he would work on it. So, um, yeah, it just became so much of a better thing than, than the thing. I don't know it's comics, it's weird, it's like a strange (laughs) alchemy, and we spent so long, you know, we worked on that thing for like four years before the first issue ever came out, so um, it was one of the weirder books to deal with, because it's like oh, we have three really cool issues, and we can't show anyone, like um <laughs> that must be so frustrating oh it is yeah no it, i mean that's comics in a nutshell though it's like oh i have all this cool stuff and i can't show anybody because uh, i'll just wreck my own books for them so
1: was it really challenging for you to kind of have to maintain the same tone and voice over a four-year period of developing that story uh not as hard as You'd
3: think. Um, I'm not sure why. Um, like, because, yeah, there would be like long gaps between me writing scripts, you know, because uh, both Josh and I had to work like other jobs that paid us. Um, so, so, yeah, there'd sometimes be like six, eight months, maybe a year between scripts. But I don't know. I, I would just like I would look at the issues we'd already done and that would just sort of put me right back where i needed to be so um while it was frustrating having three issues and we couldn't show anybody it was it was very good for me because instead of like having to look at a script and just kind of figure it out i had it's like oh this is what they have become like this is what we're doing and i don't know that makes it a lot easier to sort of get yourself back into that world when you have the visual cues as well as just like because it i don't know uh, the stuff I've written, you know, I can forget it pretty quickly. Um, so, but once the art is done, then it gets kind of more
1: solidified in my head, I guess. Uh, so if Charlie is a manic, depressed, pixie dream girl from Crowded, what's the inspiration for Red then? In Shanghai Red? Um. Just, uh, I don't know. Uh,
3: I just wanted to do like cuz it all came from me going on a tour of the Shanghai tunnels in Portland and when i when we came out from underneath the street like i had the opening of the book in my head and um but i knew that i didn't want it to be a dude cuz i was like well like we've seen those stories before and i feel like i don't know uh the fact that like women were treated you know, like if a woman got Shanghai back then, she'd basically become a, a forced sex worker. Um, so I wanted to play with that and have it where, you know, this woman, because she is dressing as a man, gets gets subjected to the same treatment as men. And like, I don't know, I just thought that was like an interesting. Yeah, I, I, she sort of just came from nowhere. I don't know. She just came out of my head. Uh, I don't know that I really had a. I, it was mostly just trying to figure out like what would piss a person off enough to get them to go this far and kill this many people for some measure of satisfaction. I guess in a way that feels like okay, that makes sense to me.
1: Yeah, the, the, I mean, when I, while I was reading, I, I, I felt kind of like very classical Greek i like thinking of like Electra or whatever, just like that revenge driven plot. Uh, that's really cool. And I like, I like that the idea of exploring these actual tunnels is like, you know, this is a really good setting for a story. <laughs> yeah.
3: And I was not, you know, I went there with uh, like Jordy Belair and I um, decided to go there after an Emerald city because we both like ghosts um, specifically that, Stupid ass show uh, Ghost Adventures. Um <laughs> yeah. and uh and I was like, we should go to this because I know that the Ghost Adventures crew has been to the tunnels, so that means like there must be ghosts there. Um but yeah, once we went on the tour, then like and the tour guide started talking about the Shanghai industry. Um I was like, oh shit, this is like like I always knew what Shanghaiing was, but I never knew like sort of how uh, I, I guess I get really fascinated by, by like subcultures by like uh, tiny pockets that develop that like sort of have their own language and their own customs. And like, that's very much what Shanghai Shanghai became was like, it was this sort of uh pocket industry that a bunch of people practiced. And, you know, it was like, it had its own lingo and its own rituals and um, yeah, I just like the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I've I've never seen a story set in this arena. And I think it'd be really cool. Uh, I mean, mostly that's my genesis for most of my stories. is like, have I seen this before? And will it be cool? Um, and if it passes those two tests, then I can usually like chase it a little further down the rabbit hole.
1: Well, I certainly felt shanghaied while reading it because as soon as I picked it up, I couldn't put it back down. Uh and that also makes me very curious to see what happens when you storm Area fifty one like Sean alluded to.
3: <laughs> I'd probably get shot like right away,
1: like me personally. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can... then go to the Yeah that Taco Bell Hotel in California while you're at the San Diego Comic Con. I want to see that story. There's a Taco Bell Hotel? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is. I just
3: found out Kentucky has a sporting center, and it's called the KFC Yum Center. And Yum has an exclamation point.
4: Yeah,
1: Yum's Yum's the parent company that owns KFC and Taco Bell. No, that's what they're called. Uh, really? Yes, yeah, I'm dead serious. Pizza oh, okay. too.
3: All right. Well, that makes a little more sense. I thought they were just like it was just a name saying like, just so you know, our chicken's really delicious.
1: <laughs> I bet the architect or whatever genuinely thought like this would be clever. I just like the idea of a yum center.
0: <laughs> Very little. I want to ask you about ghosts, man. Uh right. you mentioned that you you mentioned that you believe in ghosts or you're you're interested in that. So I guess do are you a believer? Do you believe that they are actually ghosts? Um no. I mean <laughs> I, I mean I'd
3: like to uh and in my my deepest fantasy sure but like i I just find it I find like more interesting like what people project onto this kind of stuff like or you know how people treat death um I think a lot of my work has been sort of like in response to the concept of death and how we don't know what comes after and I think a a lot of my fascination with ghost stuff is more about the people who are fascinated by it, like ghost hunters and stuff. And like how they, again, it's a subculture unto itself. um, And sort of like how they interpret the world in a completely different way. You know, they'll fucking play back these, these tapes that they make while they're walking around. And, you know, there's like a bit of like audio scuff on it. And suddenly that scuff is like, oh, dude, like, uh, you know, they'll tell you what it's saying and it's saying something very specific about them or about, like, some piece of history. And it's like, no, that just sounds like, you know, a uh, uh, fucking shitty audio. But um, but they the way they bend all this stuff to make it fit their, their operating theory. Um, I've never had a ghost encounter. I think I had a... I, there was one time as a kid where... Something threw a hat at me in my bedroom, um, and I think that's the closest I got to a ghost. But I also think maybe it just fell off of something. So how how far
1: did it go across the room?
3: <laughs> not not super far. Uh, and also, I was a kid, so I was like an idiot. So <laughs> that's
2: um, one of the favorite things about kids, man. <laughs> it's the same thing; they have that same weird like subculture thing of just the way that they view the world with a totally different. Like, yeah,
3: and I was kind of primed for it because I found out that, like, when we moved into that place, I found out that, um, like, the somebody died in our apartment, um, and like ended up like the landlord, like, found him, like, dragged out by the trash or something. And, uh, oh my god, um, what the fuck? That's, that's gonna be me one day. <laughs> uh, and it was like oh that means like he probably died here in my room and so like I was already I think like you know and I grew up reading about like ghosts and Bigfoot and cryptids and stuff so like my head's always been kind of in that area like I'm a full on like I would love to have some confirmation I, I have yet to uh, I do think there's some really cool stuff out there but um, yeah I don't I feel like if there were ghosts, like we see a lot more evidence are at there, this
1: point. Are, are there any stories that make you second guess that maybe there is some sort of paranormal activity?
4: Uh,
3: I mean, yeah, there's all sorts of like, you know, tiny little like, Ooh, that's spooky. Uh, I can't think <laughs> of anything that's like a, uh, you know, like a, uh, a killing blow to my, uh, skepticism. um, you know, you just run across, like, a story here or there, and you're like, oh, that's interesting. Like, that's – I can't think of an honest explanation for that. But, uh, no, ghost-wise, like, not really. Um, I don't know. UFOs seem a bit more likely to me. Um,
2: but
4: Do also you have an likely. alien story in you, you think?
3: No. Uh, well, oh, like, in me? Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, I mean, not like that's happened to you, but like, I know you mentioned the area 51 thing. Like, yeah, no,
3: I mean, I had, I, and maybe I'll still go back to, I don't know, but yeah, I have an area 51 slash aliens story, not necessarily about aliens, but more about people who gravitate towards believing and stuff like that. So I don't know that I have an aliens. uh, I mean, I already did an alien versus predator book. So I feel like that was my, that was my, my operating thesis on on aliens they just all want to murder each other
1: when pete said uh do you have a ufo story in you i thought he meant do you have an alien you and that's what a xenomorph does so that's what i thought was happening (laughs) no no aliens inside me not that i know of
3: (laughs) i live with a dog though so i have an alien outside of me
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I I, think that that whole world, man, like the conspiracy world is so fascinating. Um, The world seems like it's too mundane almost. And maybe that's just me or maybe that's just a product of living in a boring ass world. I think it's world. a product
2: of reading too many um, fucking comic books,
4: too. <laughs>
0: You're just that, ready. That You're ready that. for it
2: to be peeled back and reveal the secret somewhere, you know? <laughs> Sean's ready for the scrolls. Uh, yeah
0: no i'm not cuz that would scare the shit out of me but um, like just in general i i i feel like there has to be something and so that's what makes the whole area 51 thing so interesting because if there's anything going on anywhere i feel like that's where we're going to find out so hopefully these pe- these half a million people are not just joking and they really go there They're not gonna and do half it. of them Come will on. die
3: and there's nothing there like that's the thing It's like i think the world is as mundane as we fear it is like and you know but that's why we fucking tell stories you know that's why people go to the movies it's like um i don't know you know i think the world is is deeply interesting and fascinating but i don't think (laughs) it has much to do with like the theoretical um you know i mean i think like history and people is like you dig enough like there's enough like i mean i literally yesterday found found out a story about like in the mid-70s a dude a japanese guy who was like a porn star uh like rented a plane and then kamikaze it into a into a yakuza boss's house um holy
2: shit that's badass He missed him
3: too. Like he hit, he hit one room and the dude was in another room. Um, But, but like, yeah, this dude, like, you know, like, and there's millions of stories like that, that just like, you know, fly under the radar. But I think like, you know, I would love if there was, you know, sort of more. And I think there is to some degree, but I think like, I don't know. um, Like if we haven't gotten footage of Bigfoot at this point, probably not gonna happen uh like ufos still like every video is either fake or like really shittily shot uh i I don't know i feel like we're in an era where like some of this stuff should start getting a bit more coverage if it's actually real
2: um right yeah everybody has a you know really really solid camera in their pocket at all times at this point you know
3: yeah like you know people in russia all have cameras in their cars so we can get footage of like Comets uh,
2: or you know, <laughs> meteors,
3: like landing, you know, stuff like that that would never get captured before. And it's, I don't know, um, you know. But I, I never outright am like, nope, no, none of this stuff exists, because uh, what is the fun in that? I mean, who am I trying to like? What am I trying to like? Prove to myself that like I'm, I'm too rational to uh, allow myself the Even just the idle notion of like, well, maybe some of it. I don't know. I like living in a world where like maybe some of this shit is real, even though it probably isn't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I I think it's pretty cool that um, at least on some level that plays into your comic work, Um, you know, that who knows what's going on. I I, I like that. That's fun. I mean, you got to have a curious Um, mind, right? I think, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
3: yeah, like I, you know, I've always just been like, I get obsessed with something and then I kind of dig into it until I find something there that I can like show to the world um, in a uh, pleasing story-driven fashion. And then I can like expunge it from my head and move on to, to something new.
1: That kind of begs the question then, what is your current obsession? Uh Bees. Um, oh stuff. yeah! <laughs> I into- did-
3: I'm doing a. I'm working on a uh, a crime story about beekeeping. So
2: I, g- I got to tell you, I did not expect that one. <laughs> yeah,
3: no, I try to. I try to keep everybody guessing. Um, but no, that's my current. Like, I have a bee thing, and I have a fantasy thing. Um, so uh,
2: I have a bee thing.
3: <laughs> I have a bee thing. I have a bee thing. I have a disease thing. I have a fantasy thing. I have a black hole thing. Um, I got a bunch of things.
1: For your bee thing, have you been watching a lot of bee movie to inspire you? No,
3: I've never seen bee movie. I've only heard the memes. Um, <laughs> I've been doing a lot of reading about bees, though, and beekeeping. and uh, um, Yeah, I'm very deep into bee culture right now. <laughs>
1: have you learned to waggle dance? I, I mean, I can't do it, but I know about it. <laughs> I was hoping you can give us a demonstration on an audio-based platform.
4: <laughs> oh my god!
3: Just close your eyes, and I'll rub some fabric together.
2: <laughs> It'll simulate it. I'm I'm so excited by the idea of a crime story about beekeepers. <laughs>
3: yeah, no, it's it's uh it's gonna be really good. I think like. I'm super excited about it. Like I've already got the first uh, three issues outlined. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just trying to find somebody who can draw it. And then. Uh, yeah. Is,
1: it, uh, is the mystery about their declining populations?
3: No. Um, it's not a mystery. It's. Uh, uh, it's sort of a revenge book, but not really. It's. Uh, I mean, it's. Have you ever seen Mr. Majestic. The Charles Bronson uh, film?
1: No, I only know the superhero character. Uh,
3: this one is with a Y um, instead of an I. Um, but Mister Majestic is where Charles Bronson plays a watermelon farmer. Um, you should really see it because because like his whole thing in the movie is like he just wants to get his melon crop in, and like these mobsters show up. Um, <laughs> And there's a slow motion scene where these two like mob guys are like machine gunning his watermelon crop. Um,
2: (laughs) That sounds amazing.
3: But yeah, it's just like a brutal like seventies, like crime picture, but it's about watermelon farming. Like, but because it's about watermelon farming doesn't make it any less cool. It's, it's, but like, that's that's my whole thing. Is like you can make a cool story pretty much out of anything. Like if you you know, if you have the right characters and you have the right sort of uh, I respect for the world that you're building in. So like you can make a movie where Charles Bronson is a, is a pissed off watermelon farmer and it's totally cool. So that's what I'm trying to do.
0: That sounds insane, and uh, I can't wait for any of those. Like you mentioned, you have a black hole thing. That sounds mm-hmm. fantastic. You have a disease thing. That sounds yep. fantastic. Like every time you said you had a thing, I'm like, check, check, check. Those are all books that I want to see. So hopefully they get made. That's a
1: super chill pitch too. <laughs> I got this thing. I got this thing.
0: I like that. <laughs> That's all, the only way I can talk about them
2: without like giving everything away. So. Um, so. Let me ask you this, Chris. Uh, you have another new book out right now, uh, "Test" with Vault. Yeah. Uh-huh. What was what was your thing that got you down the kind of like cyberpunk, you know, like body mod stuff?
0: Um,
3: I you know that sort of
2: uh, I don't know. I mean the the original
3: idea for Test literally came from a a, a Pat Oswalt uh, album. Um, where he was talking about uh, he met, like, a makeup lady who lived in a town that was a test market town. Um, so they would get, like, all the weird, like, KFC food Oh, products. yeah, I
2: do remember that bit.
3: Um, yeah, it was all about the mega leg, I think, which was, like, a Renaissance Fair-sized chicken leg. Um, and, like, that just, you know like immediately i was like oh right there are towns where they like test out new items before they unleash it on the rest of the world and like um you know that was the genesis and then it just you know then i had to figure out a character who sort of worked in that that space i don't know um like that Test is one of the hardest books I've worked on just in terms of like writing it or describing it. It is a super elusive book for me. Like, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, you know, I've been working on it for, I mean, I think I came up with the idea in 2013, maybe 2012. Oh Wow. Um, But, you know, it took years and years to figure out like who Aleph was. And, um, you know, I, I didn't set out to do like a cyberpunk book. It just sort of, happen that way um and i you know like i always assume like okay that's how it's supposed to happen so i've just been kind of rolling wherever it takes me
4: so
2: did you i guess not did you have you found it difficult uh writing for a left because they're so different than a lot of other characters that you've done because of i mean i I, i'm not 100 percent sure if this is like confirmed um or if it was just like commentary in the book but that they're schizophrenic and obviously that really affects like their thought patterns and their speech patterns and like the way that they like perceive sequences of events and stuff like that like is that what you found to be the most challenging thing about it or or is it more finding a way to to explore the themes that you were just talking about
3: uh yeah, I don't. I think it's one of those things where it was like it was always too big. Um, just like it's one of those ideas where it's like, oh, I could literally do anything I want with this. Like, there's no, you know, if if my if my operating concept is it's a town where they're test marketing the future, um, that means I can put anything in here. And then, I mean, the hardest part was like, okay, I have to. I have to set some limitations otherwise like you know like this whole book is just gonna be like well that that's cool that's a thing when the future. like i didn't just want it to be like here's some cool future stuff i came up with like i you know um i wanted it to be about a left and them trying to i uh, you know trying to make sense of them um you know like they they get labeled as uh as like schizophrenic by the repo men in the book, like it's not necessarily confirmed that it's true. Like, and I, that's one of the big things about the book is like trying to figure out who Aleph is, you know, compared to like, this is what this faction says they are. And this is who they say they are. Um, I don't know. It's very much about a person trying to figure out who they are and where they belong in the world. Um, and it just happens that they're doing it in, a, in an extremely uh, fucked up place.
2: Yeah, because I, I kind of got that impression from some of Aleph's dialogue. Like there was one moment in particular where they were talking about how the way that their mind was expanding and that it was like faster and more than they had anticipated or that they wanted for it. And it seemed as though they were kind of grappling with the fact that they're really not human anymore, you know? And that, like, they can't... Like, Pandora's box has kind of been opened for them mentally here. And um <clears throat> I thought that concept was really interesting because, yeah, of course, like, the government who's made up of people would perceive this person that they think of as being a human who now, like, thinks more like a machine as having mental illness rather than, like, evolving into something different.
3: Yeah, um... Like, yeah, it's, uh, I, yeah, I don't, like I said, this is a very hard, like, it's, a, it's a hard book for me to write. It's even harder for me to, like, discuss in a cogent way. Um, like, it's, I hate being one of those dudes who's like, you have to read the book, but I feel like Test is the first time where I'm like, no, you just have to read the book. Like, I can't, I can't come up with an effective elevator pitch that really sums up what I think is best about it in a way that like sounds sexy and cool. Um, yeah. I just feel like we, we wound up like making like a weird European comic. Um, and I don't know how we did it. Like this whole book has just been a weird mystery from day one.
0: Yeah. I, I read this and I, I, I was, I wanted to bring it up, but I didn't know what to say other than wow. Like, Like it's it's a ride and I wasn't sure what exactly all the way happened Mm -hmm. but I know that I liked it so that means I want to read the next one (laughs) that's really all I know
3: no that's that's all I that's all I ask like and um yeah I mean test is I think a more difficult book than than others that I've written um but I don't know more and more I'm just like I don't mind like if if my books aren't a hundred percent clear the first time you read it. Like, I mean, I want it to be clear, but I'm also okay with like a lot of questions being left out there or some level of confusion. Like, I don't know. I think like by and large, like I think a lot of Western comics, like handholds too much, like, and assumes like that the reader is kind of dumb um and i've certainly worked with editors who have reinforced that notion of like do we really have to do this and they're like yeah well the reader might not understand and it's like you have to give them more credit than that like they're not idiots but you know like i feel like so so much of like comics is like very handholdy and i'm i'm trying to get away from that and like like, yeah, maybe you're confused for the, you know, about this thing and maybe it'll pay off two more issues down the road. Like, you know, I, I feel like, uh, there's a a lack of patience, um, that, and I'm, I'm just like, well, can you, can you give me a little bit of patience? Like, you know, maybe, maybe I'll fuck it up and maybe like what I do in the end isn't at all what you're looking for, but like, maybe. Maybe not. Maybe I'm. You know, I'm just taking my time. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's it's a uh, uh, yeah, it's a constant struggle. But um, yeah, I'd much rather like somebody think about my book and wonder like, what does this mean? Rather than just like, nope, I know exactly what happened on every panel and every page. And like, it's a hundred percent clear to me. And now I can put this down and it will fade out of my head in 10 seconds when I pick up the next comic.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that I, I really liked it and I, I think it's great because I feel like, especially, you know, the further you get in, in your career, like you look at your, your portfolio and, You know, you have you definitely have a distinct voice, but I feel like all your books are very different from one another and like their goals are different, you know, and like the fact that this book is it takes a little bit more from me. You know, I have to think about it a little bit more that doesn't bother me, but it especially doesn't bother me because, you know, I've read enough of your work to show me that like when you're taking me on a ride, it's going somewhere, you know, so it's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you haven't let me down yet. So, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
3: No, fingers crossed. Um, Yeah. And I won't say that, you know, I'm a hundred percent successful every time to every person, like, but uh, I don't, I don't think anybody is. And I don't think I'd want to read the person who is like, I mean, I think, yeah, like certain people are going to love your stuff and other people are going to hate it. And, you know, that's, Cool by me. Like, I, I never mind getting a bad review because I know that, you know, my stuff isn't for everybody. And, you know, no matter what you do, like, somebody's not going to like what you do. Um, so I'd much rather get a strong reaction than just, like, a shrug.
1: Although the bee thing might actually be for
0: everyone.
2: <laughs>
1: it might. It's
0: a hot topic right now. It is pretty mass appeal. Everybody likes bees. You know, I think that there are very few writers. Just kind of piggybacking off what you said about um, comics, sort of being made with the lowest common denominator in mind. Um, I think there are there are very few writers whose work I read where and and I, I don't know. I don't know if it's their fault, the editor, whatever. I don't want to. I'm not casting mm-hmm. blame, but where where I feel respected, I guess as yeah. a reader. Um. Sometimes it can feel like, all right, well, I'm not dumb. You know, I can, I can, I see where you're going, um, and it's nice to not always know everything. And and there is a pattern of that in your work, where a lot of it is, all right, well, we don't know exactly what Charlie's past is. Seven issues in, yeah, you know, we're still learning why she is how she is. That's okay because that's human too, right? Like, you might know someone for 15 years and you can learn something new about them. Every single day, and that's the beauty of life in a lot of ways. And I think that's that can be beautiful about stories too. And that gets stripped when you have to make sure that the reader has every single ounce of knowledge that they could possibly need in every situation to never feel lost. Yeah,
3: no, I, I like feeling lost in stories. Like I like not knowing where things are going and not being hundred percent certain of like what's happening at all times. Um, You know, like as long as I feel like the creators know what they're doing, um, then I'm, I'm, you know, it's a, it's a level of trust, I guess um, with anything, any sort of like fiction you take into your life is like, you know, you, you are extending some level of trust to the creator that like, okay, I'm giving you, You know, my money, I'm giving you hours of my life. Like, and, uh, you know, um, I hope you don't screw me. So I'm just trying not to screw uh, the people who who extend me that level of faith.
0: I I remember a couple weeks ago, you, someone in the industry had, had gone on a rant on Twitter about how they don't, they don't like to give any one advice like no advice as far as how to break into the industry things like that and you kind of said you didn't you didn't share that perspective you were more like i'll give advice to anybody Mm -hmm. why do you think that there are people in the industry who kind of deliberately gatekeep?
3: um i mean i think in that specific case like uh you know i definitely i i think i i reacted a bit strongly um like the case he was talking about was like i'm not gonna help you like break into comics but i don't know it was just the tone of it just felt like you know if i don't know you like why am i going to do this for you and that just felt like i don't know um you know i know what it's like i i vividly remember what it's like to be on the outside of this industry and trying to get anybody to pay attention to me and to like, you know, I remember having dozens of questions about like how the industry works and there's not like an FAQ you can go to that'll just like, here's what you should ask for for money. And like, here's how to deal with public, like all that, you know, you pick that stuff up piecemeal and I you know, I feel like uh, I think there's a certain level of uh, protectiveness and, um, you know and i understand that it's like you know hey i got in and but you know there's always people breaking in and you know it's like people are always at your back and like you know you can't ever be like complacent about oh i'm going to do this for it like you know like cuz there's always new better people coming into the industry and the industry itself is changing i it you know i think a lot of it is like nervousness um i think a lot of it is uh that they don't want to um you know like be taken advantage of by like you know giving up their free time to answer questions from strange i i don't know um i just know that like uh i am you know like i would like to be the the industry I want to see I guess so yeah like I I I make myself uh, like I got a question yesterday from somebody who was just like oh I saw that you said you would give advice uh and I was like yeah sure like I you know I mean the thing that I think graded me the most about it was that he was talking about it like that like writing comics is this like tough intense job and it's not like it's like, you should be fucking grateful that people want your advice, like, that people want, are asking, like, somebody they don't know, have never met, but they're asking you for, like, you know, like, uh, for better or for worse, like, if it takes up all your time, that's shitty, but, like, it's kind of an honor that, like, somebody would reach out to you, and, you know, to act like, oh, like, I can't take this anymore, it's just like, dude, your job's not that hard, like... I know what it takes to write comics and it's like, you're not, you know, you're not, you're not like saving lives. You're not, you're not drawing comics. Like, so your job's not that. Intense. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I, it just like, it bristled with me. Cause I, I'm just, you know, I, I see so many people in comics who are just like trying to, you know, are just like stuck in the old ways and, uh, I, I it's like uh, somebody has to like push back against that you know and I'm not saying that like what I'm doing is gonna change anything but like I would at least like to provide an example for other people down the road and like they'll go like well this dude gave advice and it didn't like you know didn't like wreck his life or like you know take all his time away like I'll do that too I don't know like it just feels like the progression in this industry is so slow at times. And it's like, it, if I can do anything to like help, I'll do it. Cause, cause it sucks to not have help. And, you know, um, coming into a, an industry, any like creative type industry, it's, it's very much about like who, you know, and if you don't know anybody, then you're fucked. So I would like to at least like, be that person that you know at least to get you started.
0: Yeah, and I I think that comics comics is kind of weird too because you you unless you are very very multi-talented, you really can't do anything by yourself, right? Like as a writer, yeah. You need an artist. As an artist, you need a writer. You also have to, you know, find a letter. Unless you can do those right. things. Uh, you've often preached, like, being able to do as much as possible on your own. But at some point, you're probably going to run into needing help. And the resources aren't necessarily available unless you know some things. You have to You have to have some knowledge, yeah. basically.
2: Comics are definitely, like, a team sport. And it is, it is kind of weird that you bring that up, Sean, that there is, like... This, like, kind of, like, there's a a gate, you know? Like, and it's really tough to break in, and, like, even people who break in struggle to move up, you know? And, like, find that next level because it is so much about, like, connecting with people and, like, meeting the right, not just, like, partners, but also someone who's going to pay attention to the book that you actually finally made, you know? And how much it costs to even get that far.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's I love this job and it's fun and, but it's also extremely hard. Like, you know, you're, you're up against, uh, you know, a million, not only are you up against every other comic out there, but you're also up against, you know, Netflix and Xbox and YouTube and, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's both easier than ever to be in comics and harder than ever to stay in comics
0: what would you say the industry is is lacking in terms of its ability to help bring new fresh faces into it and to kind of help people who are on the bubble of breaking in pop that bubble um i don't know
3: i mean uh i mean i i i currently I feel like the biggest lack in the industry is how much focus there is on big two superhero books like that, like never, you know, it's, it's just like, it's a game of moving goalposts. Like that's all they do. It's like, and so much of it is built on nostalgia. It's like, Oh, I grew up reading this character. Like I love reading this character. Like as long as this character is alive, then I'll never die. Um, I, there's like, I don't know, so much of the industry is focused on that. And I understand why, but it's like, uh, I feel like there's so much more interesting stuff going on in creator owned, and web comics, and like, everywhere else in comics, except for superhero, like, it just feels like, okay, we've done that. And like, we know, I mean, I don't know. I just feel like we've chased that as far as it can go. And like the fact that like, we're still, uh, you know, flogging these things. It's just like, um, it's, it still feels like the biggest hurdle is like trying to open up the eyes of the world that like, you know, we do stuff other than superheroes. Like it's, and the Marvel films like have just like cemented that. So now it's just like, Oh, you do comics. Like, so you must do superhero stuff and it's like no like i do cool shit but nobody has powers in it um yeah i don't know like uh i feel like the industry is getting a little bit better but it's still you know like so much of the big two is just like locked into like uh sameness is like oh you like this person okay we'll give them eight more books uh and so like you know, all your myths are basically being shaped by the same dozen people. Um, I I don't know. It's it's you know when sometimes when I think about it, it bums me out. Because um, especially like as somebody who basically just makes his living off creating our own stuff now, is like it's, it's just such an insurmountable. You know, it's uh, David and Goliath, except like it's not uh, a cute nicely wrapped up story like it is a this is the rest of my life is like a slinging rocks at these giant beasts and just like (laughs) just like trying to carve out a little
2: space for myself but you know what man like i i have nothing but respect for you and the other creators that do that because i think you're so right and i think that like personally you know i think if there wasn't an increase in the last you know i would say even just like five or six years of seeing more and more creator-owned stuff break through in that way. Like, I don't even know that I'd still be reading comics because I agree with you, you know, that, like, I I love superheroes, you know? Like, I grew up on them, and, like, there's st- I sure. still have a lot of nostalgia and warmth for them in my heart. But at a certain point, how many times can I see the same characters go toe-to-toe with the same you know it's like you you're right that it's it's kind of a treadmill and especially when it is the constantly moving goalpost of like another reboot or another event or another this or another that like
3: yeah it just feels like there's no stakes anymore like because you know no matter what happens it'll always get set back to default like right wolverine will die and then you know that you know they may drag it out for two
2: years but he's gonna come back um and And while he's gone here's another wolverine to tide you over and yeah uh
3: or you know it's just like i don't know like this whole like where they're basically they're launching a whole new x books and so like oh you know these x-men books you've been reading for the last year these don't count anymore um we've decided that like we're just gonna like wipe And it just, I don't know, like from a reader's perspective, but also from like a creator's perspective is like, I don't want to like dump all my time and energy into something. And then, you know, it gets decided by somebody else that like, Oh, this doesn't, this isn't Canon anymore. Like this is, it's just feels like too much to be up against. Like at least with creator owned, it's like, nobody can tell me that like, this isn't real anymore. Like I decide the canon, I build the world, I create the characters, you know, I own some percentage of them. Uh, like,
2: and, yeah. And you get to decide just, when it stops.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like all good stories need an ending. Um, and I feel like, yeah, we're, we're right now we're at this point where nobody wants any stories to end. Like that's why we have, you know, um, uh a whole new trilogy of Star Wars coming after this trilogy ends like it's like nobody wants the story but I don't know it's like how how do you know if a story is good unless you could see how it ends and whether it nails the ending like it just has to be I feel like all this stuff has to build to something otherwise it's you're just it's just you know I yeah you're just kicking the can down the field and like at a certain point you're going to get too old to kick it anymore uh but you you've got nothing out of it all my metaphors are extremely mixed right now so uh of no, this makes sense but <laughs> but yeah like i don't know um you know i i do think like the arena for creator own stuff is even greater now than it has been you know with places like vault and aftershock and new places like ahoy and like i i think like in that respect like comics is is like open to create our own stuff a lot more it's just like you know again we're as creators we're up against so many factors or so many different competing venues for people's time and attention it's kind of an impossible problem to solve
1: so maybe this is a challenging question to answer or something you can't really answer but if if one of the big two came to you with the proposition of writing one of their major characters, would you feel fundamentally opposed to writing it? Uh, something like that? No. Or would you, do you have, Oh, I'd say yes right away. Cause probably good money, I guess. Right. <laughs> like
3: I, yeah, no, I'm a total fucking sellout and I'll say it right here. Like, but I, yeah, money would be great. And money is what helps, you know, helps me make my creator own books. So, um, so yeah, like as long as it was something that I felt like I had something to say, um, if I, if I have nothing to say, then, like, the book's just going to feel – it's going to feel like that. It's going to feel empty, and it's going to feel, like, rote. And that's – I don't want to do – like, if I'm – I can't just half-ass it on a book. Like, no matter how inconsequential it might feel to the world as a whole, like, okay, maybe this isn't a huge, uh, you know, licensed property or whatever, but, like, it, it's still my name on the book. I still have to live with, like – people reading this and bringing it to me at shows down the, down the road. And I don't want to like have somebody bring me a book and just like inside I'm dying. Cause I'm like, uh, this piece of shit. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there's definitely like, there's definitely uh big two stories that I would love to tell and characters that I'd love to tackle. Um, but, yeah, I just, you know, like, the whole game of, like, chasing after that just got too exhausting and depressing for me. It's like, I, you know, all, all I can do is, like, do my work and try and do it the best way I can. And, you know, uh, I like I said, I know it's not going to appeal to everybody. Uh, so, like, I spent so long just, like trying to figure out what to do to get in with the big two. And then when I got in there briefly, I was like, uh, okay. Like, I mean, yeah, the money's really good and the exposure is really good, but you know, like I'm as much as like I've enjoyed any of the work I've done at Marvel or DC, I'm, I'm not nearly as proud of any of it as I am any of my creator owned books.
1: And honestly, I mean, maybe that's not a possibility to even have to worry about. I mean, crowded was optioned for a big, you know, big adaption or whatever. Yeah.
3: No, I mean, if it happens, awesome. Uh, and the Eisner, of course. Yes. Uh, you would be shocked how, how little the industry kind of cares about that. Um, like Eisner nominate, uh, or at least on my end, they don't seem to care very much, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a weird... It's all weird. Like, comics... That's my statement on comics. It's like, it's fucking weird, and I don't <laughs> understand it. Uh, but I'm just trying to, like, do do my own version of it. Uh, and, you know, try to not be a shitty person and try to, you know, do the things that I think all companies should be doing or, like, all creators should be doing. And just, you know, hope that it... yeah works out like i hope the crowded movie gets made because that would uh then i wouldn't have to worry for a while um but you know even if it doesn't like i just want to finish that book and i want to have all four volumes of that like on my shelf and know that like you know i had this stupid idea one day and turned it into this um it's crazy like you know um yeah, I, I don't know. It's too early. It's too early on a Saturday. I'm, I'm like getting <laughs> yeah. all fucking like weird and like, oh man, like the implications. Like,
2: yeah. No, that's why we want you on the show. Yeah, no, you picked a good time stuff, to man. have
3: me on because I'm not like shitty and jaded yet. I mean, I'm, I am mean, I am sort of default always jaded, but like I'm not, uh, <laughs> I haven't had a chance to like put on my exoskeleton, so... <laughs>
2: yeah we get you right after the morning coffee and you feed your dog perfect perfect i didn't even
3: have the morning coffee yeah like you literally like i saw your email fed the dog and then i came in here uh so so you have me as raw as possible that's why i don't make any fucking sense and this is gonna be a terrible episode but uh
1: no no this is gold man what are you talking about all right all right (laughs) Well, listen, at this rate with these benchmarks you're hitting, you said you weren't going to go to San Diego Comic-Con unless you won an Eisner. At this rate, next time, you could say I won't go to San Diego Comic-Con until I win a Golden Globe. That's true.
3: I don't think I qualify for that.
1: Well, hey, eventually.
3: (laughs) No, I'm just going to leave it at Eisner. Maybe I'll upgrade it to, like, I'll I'll never go to San Diego again unless I get nominated for an Eisner and get a free room
2: hey now we're talking yeah so that'll be my next stupid proclamation well once once you win the Iser, that's when you can start throwing it around be like do you know who i am <laughs> man i would love to win like
3: <laughs> like i said i i have you know we're up against some stiff competition and like i don't you know who knows uh but that would be pretty fucking cool like um yeah i would just want like I would be super arrogant about it for like a whole fucking week. Hell Could yeah. you
2: should be? No, <laughs> yeah, I, I never am.
3: Like I, I, I try to be like pretty humble about all this stuff. But like, if we actually
2: won, like I would
3: be unbearable for a week. Like,
2: dude, that's that's one of those victory lap things. Like, if you do, if you don't take that lap, like when do you? You know, like that's you you've you've won the accolades of the industry. You know, yeah. like.
3: I would find a way to like affix a chain to my eisner so I could wear it around my neck, like
4: yes, like, like flavorfully, <laughs> <You> fucking baller. <laughs>
1: yeah, I uh, I- I've heard Tom Hanks joke that he because he's won two Academy Awards, he's like, I keep one of them in the garage so I don't hit the wall because that way, you know, when I'm coming <laughs> in, I see the reflection of it because of how bright it is. Sure, it's the kind of thing you got to do.
3: Well, yeah, when you're that rich, like I feel like statues don't matter as much unless they're like hot
0: toys <laughs> uh, we're we're really excited for you man and we really hope you win um, like I said we'll be watching very closely and uh, next Saturday morning we'll be able to announce the winners on the show hopefully you're one of them um, but if you're not I mean I, I I don't think you need to hear this but I would like to say it anyways that doesn't diminish the yeah mark.
3: no like um, we it's we got nominated which you know it's a, it's a cliche but it is truly an honor to get nominated like you know considering like how many good books are coming out uh like yeah i like i said did not expect to see our name on the list so like it's you know i and i'm especially happy for ted and roe because this is like their first yeah major yeah, right? book their first a, like solo book uh, what
2: a breakout for them right like first, yeah first yeah. big book and then you guys get the are not. that's huge and they totally deserve it all the
3: time yeah no i mean like this book would not be you know we wouldn't be nominated for an Eisner if it wasn't for ted and row like the tone of the story like them drawing it like the the contributions they've made are so many that like yeah they've like they've really really earned it and so like i i'm just excited that like you know i i haven't been wasting their time like it's always a weird gamble when you like invite somebody to like hey, let's collaborate. Let's make a book together. And it's like, I can't guarantee you shit. Like, this might go down in flames and nobody will ever read it. We might never get picked up. Like, um, and even if we do, like, no, nobody will, you know, the possibility is there that nobody will care. Um, So it's nice to have an outcome where it's like, no, guys, I believe in this book and I think, like, some cool things will happen and they believed in it and it actually, like, Oh, we get nominated for an Eisner! Like that's it's nice to have that that validation because um, you know you spend so much time just working by yourself that you you lose sight uh, that like other people are out there reading your work
1: and appreciating it. Well, don't worry, we'll stuff the ballot box for you,
3: please. <laughs> and yeah, if I don't win, at least like I got a free Eisner dinner um, and at least like two free drinks. So
2: Hell yeah. I yeah. like that attitude. Nice. Yeah, not a bad evening. No.
0: So I, I wanna tell the listeners, go pick up Eisner nominated, crowded. Okay. Volume one, trade number one, is out now. Uh, it's on it's on bookshelves, I'm sure, everywhere. Books are sold, Amazon, whatever. Go pick that Started up. Started
1: Barnes and Noble last week.
0: There you go. Um also go pick up Test, which is out now. We'll pick up Shanghai Red. What else can the people go pick up?
3: Uh uh Trustfall, which is a Cold new War? book I'm doing Trustfall. at Aftershock. The first issue just came out uh last month. Um so it's me and Chris Visions doing like a uh crime uh crime book about a woman who can teleport things. Um oh that's awesome. Ooh. So, so yeah, that's gonna be like a five-issue series. First issue's out. We're it's taking us a little longer, so I think like issues are gonna come out like every other month. Um, but yeah, Chris and I did you know twelve issues of Dead Letters together. So, um, like we're teaming back up. So, uh, so yeah, that. Um, trying to think what else. Uh, I mean, you can yeah, uh, I have plenty of trades. Uh, for sale on Amazon and in comic book shops um, and then yeah I, I working on all this new stuff so hopefully I have new stuff to announce uh, the end of this year or early next year awesome we're gonna have to have you back on to talk about the B book yeah anytime uh, I always enjoy doing this show so you say the word and I'll try to wake
0: up
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: that makes Not two fun. of us thank you <laughs> Um yeah so we'll we'll let you go but uh, as always we appreciate having you on man and uh your twitter.com/xtop slash right? Yeah. X T O P. Perfect. And then give us the website too so people can check you out.
3: Oh, it's uh com. um and I have a store there where I'm selling uh, like pretty much all the stuff we've talked about selling trades and i'll sign them and ship them out and all that so uh yeah those are like the two places to find me i deleted my facebook so you can't find me there anymore also a good file on instagram you can see cute pictures of his dog oh yeah (laughs) i'm on instagram too i i need to use that more uh just yeah
2: yeah you, you have such a cute dog man you're just leaving all those likes right on the table I know like and everybody's like
3: you should give her her own account and I was like no like because she'll get more follows than <laughs> I will. That's,
2: that's my traffic man. <laughs> yeah
3: like if you want if you want dog content you got to come read my shit like I'm not gonna give because like, she'll like we go out and like people are just like falling over her and it's just, like no like that's already like it's very weird to have a dog who is just like so attractive to people and you're just like the weirdo at the end of the leash it's just like, you're the you're the ugly necessity who who carries this beautiful thing around so i don't i don't need to feel any more uh, insecure about my dog's uh, rise in popularity
0: i i did want to ask you one last question before we wrap uh, mm-hmm. are you going to be going to New York Comic Con
3: i am uh yes. i have a table and everything so awesome it's my first time tabling uh I'm very scared. So, well, maybe scares are wrong. I'm very intimidated. Um, but yeah, I'll be there uh, with books to sell. Uh, so, yeah, and hopefully some cool shit.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, then perfect. We look forward to seeing you there, man. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, again, thanks to Chris Sabella for joining us. And uh, until next time,
2: good man, Chris. Thanks again, Chris. Bye.
0: All right, so thanks again to Chris for joining us. Always a pleasure to have him on the show. Um, and I love when he, I love when he like gets you know when he when he talks comics, like not his books, but just like talks about the industry and stuff like that.
1: The it's industry at large, yeah, the yeah. art form. Hey, Sh- Sean, Pete, do you think we can take credit for Eisner if he wins because he's been on our show three times?
0: Yes, it's kind of like how you—if you say Beetlejuice three times, he appears. If you do our show three times, then you win an Eisner. You so.
2: win an Eisner? Shit! It's yeah. <laughs> a Comic promise. I feel—I feel like we can definitely make that claim if he wins. You know, yeah, like
0: I will—we we will make that claim.
2: It's the Comic Con's guarantee. Where's the contrary evidence, yeah.
0: folks? <laughs> exactly. He'll—he—he's a- the only guest we've had on three times. And if he wins, he will be the only Eisner winner who's ever been on the show. So that's it. That's a yeah. fact.
1: That's a stone cold <laughs> fact, and that's the bottom line because Stone Cold Sean said so. That's right.
2: You got to think too. It got it got the extra bump too because we had Ten Row on. That's an extra point five, you know, points at least. There. Well,
0: they've been on twice, so that's true. Right on a curve. <laughs> <It's> overwhelming. <laughs> uh, what's also a stone cold fact is that uh, X-Men Dark Phoenix is doing worse than Fantastic Four. It's bombing harder than Fantastic Four, guys.
4: Yikes.
1: What what do you think that is? Do you think it's because audiences know this is the end of Dark Phoenix? Do you think audiences are smartened up to kind of the inside baseball? Or uh, is it just people don't give a shit about the Fox movies anymore? I think it's a
0: perfect Venn diagram. It's because... I believe it's because of the fact that this movie was supposed to come out a long time ago and didn't, so people forgot about it. I I believe that it's because the word of mouth around this movie has been unbelievably bad. Like, prior to it coming out, there was a lot of bad you know stuff being said about it. And I also believe that X-Men Apocalypse was so bad that it killed off the goodwill that Fox had generated with uh, Days of Future Past and First Class because people thought those were really good. Did Logan good.
1: come out between Apocalypse and this? I don't recall.
0: Logan uh Logan was after Apocalypse, okay. yeah. Was it? Okay. Because
2: Apocalypse was out the first time we went to Wizard uh, World. okay. Wow. Um and that was like in theaters then. I remember seeing an ad okay. for it. And uh and then Logan was obviously, you know, we did a review yeah. of it, so that had to have yeah. come later. Uh But, yeah, I mean, I think it's all of those things that Sean said, coupled with the fact that it had a pretty bad marketing campaign. And because, like, you had a trailer that came out, like, how long ago before it got delayed, like, twice. And then they re marketed it, but, like, not well. Like, you know, you didn't see a lot about it, and what you did see wasn't super well received. And then the fact that people do, I think, on some level, people who are into the superhero movie stuff know that this doesn't go anywhere from here this is the end and you know like they're ready to see the x-men in the mcu
1: i think to me the thing that can't be understated and at at times this decade this kind of thing has been understated is word of mouth is so important for a blockbuster film Uh, i think of man of steel which did very well its opening weekend, and it really f- fell off after that. And this this movie didn't do exceedingly well opening weekend, but it, it was third, I think, opening weekend relative to the other films in the theater at the time, which is not. good, Yeah, I though. know, but it I mean, it could have potentially made like a modest, you know, uh, return. But uh, word of mouth, I think, it's, it's now doing it's on track to do worse than Fantastic Four, as, as Sean said, Josh Trank's Fantastic Four. So I think I think that's a good point. And I can't, it can't be understated enough.
2: No. Yeah, I, I honestly think it's all of those things. I don't think this movie had a single thing going for it from the outside perspective, right? Like, not even, you know, whether or not it's it's good is almost irrelevant. You know, it's that, like, it had so much going against it to keep the average moviegoer from going and seeing it.
0: And And just for the record, I do want to reiterate, I really enjoyed this movie. Like I still feel that way. I don't care that it didn't do well. Um, and as much of a Fox hater as I have been on this show at several points, um, the one thing that I will miss from the Fox era of Marvel movies is the seriousness with which they treat their properties. That was the major takeaway from a negative perspective of uh, Far From Home, a review that you can actually find, we, we posted it, so go check that out. Um, it's that Spider-Man Far From Home is so light at some points that it it takes me out of it, the experience. Um, you know, there's a big reveal at the end and the post credit scene and it's something that I've been waiting for since before they started even making these movies, that's how important that reveal was to me and it was treated so not serious that i don't care that it happened.
2: right. Yeah. yeah. I think the MCU takes the piss out of a lot of things, they, you know.
1: They they often have this weird that the Marvel movies uh they often have that weird thing where this is my metaphor this is my allegory for what these do uh where they'll present it's like when you go up to someone with like a very serious thing to talk about where it's like listen uh the entire world's about to blow up because of x y or z but it's so serious and you're uncomfortable with delivering this really like heavy news that you have to like
4: ha ha <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> you have to soften it with like a weird uh offbeat joke where it's like and you know, I'm having one of those days, I guess. World's gonna blow up, and I tripped over my own shoelace this morning. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! Right. That's what that's like. And that's what those movies have right. a tendency yeah. to do, where it's like, serious, serious, serious. But, you know, it's comics!
0: Yeah. the The Fox movies were very serious, but didn't want to be comic book movies. And the Marvel movies are not as serious, but they embrace wholly their comic book roots. And what I want is a synthesis of those two. And I don't know that we'll ever get that. Not to say that the Marvel movies are never serious. Obviously, some of them are. And they've made some of the best comic book movies of all time undisputed. Um, And they do retain some of those serious elements. But I don't know. That may not also be the majority opinion. It's just my opinion. So
2: I I I think that's accurate. I mean, you look at Thor Ragnarok, right? Like they take they took a very serious story about war and death and loss and made it a comedy, you know. And like I think that's that's emblematic of what you're talking about at the MCU with the MCU. And it's not always that way, but it's often I think that Disney way. Knows that's very palatable for
1: you know a general audience. Uh, that movie is among the most popular among just people i know in my life that don't read comic books because um it's got like a hangover kind of thing going on with it, you know. Um yeah, uh, a synthesis would be good. Uh there's certainly that while these movies are obviously really popular and kind of generation defining, there's definitely that kind of underbeat of audience members that are frustrated with that kind of constant forced levity. Uh, and in a subsection of that demographic are your Snyder fanboys who are still crying for a Justice League uh, director's cut.
0: Uh, yeah, hashtag release the Snyder cut, to be honest. <laughs> um, so let's, let's keep this train rolling. I did want to talk about what I think is a major announcement. Uh, Marvel has announced Fantastic Four Grand Design. So Grand Design is a, I guess at this point you could say it's a framework for a story at Marvel uh, created by Ed Pisker with his X-Men Grand Design trilogy. Um, this one's going to be done by Tom Scioli. And essentially what Grand Design is, is it's a series of, of, of stories that sort of condense the entire history of a character or a series of characters Um Uh, and and compresses them as much as possible. Um, With Ed Pisker's grand design, it it really kind of takes what is not supposed to be, or what wasn't created to be, a seamless canon, because, you know, X-Men comics have a lot of convoluted history, and it's not a story told by one person, and it doesn't all fit together, and essentially what Pisker has done is taken that, condensed it, and makes it fit. He he creates a story that is cohesive out of something that was done over the course of thirty years, and it's really brilliant and it's it's beautiful. And so now we're gonna get that with the Fantastic Four, uh, which I think is is um, is brilliant. And so uh, Scioli had this to say about what he is doing. Fantastic Four is like the Magna Carta of Marvel, this founding document, so being allowed to get my hands on it is thrilling. They've given me a tremendous amount of creative freedom to just go for it. So uh, that's what he said, and then this is the solicit. Because you demanded it, the best-selling Grand Design franchise continues with Marvel's first family. Brought to you by critically acclaimed cartoonist Tom Scioli, who has done Godland and Transformers vs. G.I. Joe, is the soul in the soul authorship, authorship tradition made famous by Ed Pisker's X Men Grand Design trilogy? Join the watcher and watch how it all began. Plus, appearances by the biggest names in Marvel history: Doctor Doom, Black Panther, Namor, Galactus, Mole Man, the Inhuman.
1: Oh, uh, yes, Mole Man, the most famous of them all.
2: Right? How are you going to put Mole Man on that list, guys? <laughs> <I love it. laughs> the most famous. He's like okay. Rudolph. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a this is a cool move. Uh, I, I I definitely think this is, like, a – obviously, like, th- there's a lot of mileage to get out of this because of what, we're ta- what we were talking about earlier with Chris, right, of, like, how convoluted the history is of, like, literally any superhero with longevity, you know, and the fact that, like, when you sit down and look at it and think about their timeline as a straight line, it – doesn't and can't make sense, you know? Um, but I think a lot of people still think of it that way even if it's really not. So to have something like this that, you know, kind of artfully and tactfully cleans it up and makes it feel cohesive is cool. It's really cool. And the fact that they're like expanding it to more brands it, it just makes sense it's a good idea and i think it would be a shame to only do it with the x-men
1: it's <clears throat> i really admire ambition and when you try to take something as unwieldy as 60 plus years of continuity with multiple writers and artists and edit- editors behind a title and try to create this cohesive singular narrative where everything takes place in a singular timeline I really, really admire the ambition of something like that because that's that's like the that's like something a historian has to tackle because you have to try to make sense of so much history and it's it's not even grounded history like in a sense of something that we can relate to because it's all heavily sci fi oriented um, in so many ways. The Fantastic Four are like pioneers of modern comic science fiction, especially for Mar- uh, Marvel. All their cosmic stuff this is rooted in in fantastic four um but that ambition is why i love morrison's batman so much i've really meant I, i've been wanting to read ed pisker's uh grand design x-men uh and now that it's complete now correct
0: uh i know there's two
1: out i can't remember I, if the third one came out
0: I, I think the first issue came out i'm not positive about that but i think that's accurate. okay
1: so i'm really and that uh, obviously the x-men have the most convoluted history of any comic franchise arguably so um i'm really excited to see it and the other thought i had was this kind of ambitious project is kind of it kind of reminiscent it's reminiscent to me of something like the color series marvel has where it's like daredevil yellow spider-man blue or whatever but like those are to me like the micro version of that it's like a slice of life piece of the continuity where this takes that kind of thing
2: and extrapolates it to the macro yeah yeah, and there's something really special about it, you know. Um, I think when we when we did our, I think it was actually technically our first book club when we talked about Spider-Man Blue. Um, Marco made the point where it was cool to, like, or at least I think it was him who made this point where it was cool to like get this book that is kind of a like it, it, it's a way to take that snapshot of the character at that point in time and and this very very iconic definitive you know original run on the character um and extrapolate what makes it special and why it resonates with people and and finding a way to connect it to you know modern audiences who don't have like because you know I, i think there's a lot to be gained from going back and reading old old comics if you're passionate about the medium. But if you're someone who just likes to read stories about superheroes or something like that, that's not necessarily going to have the same appeal to you, I don't think. Whereas these are, like, obviously super accessible.
1: Yeah, a lot of people really struggle like modern audiences seem to really struggle with the kind of um, archaic methodology for writing comics and as recently as the mid-80s where it's, it's a lot of exposition and it's 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 a style um so this this kind of project gives a renewed appreciation for uh for older stories that are as Pete said kind of inaccessible or like in Batman's case uh foreign
0: yeah i i i hope that this is a trend that continues um marvel has definitely been Readdressing their history quite a bit of late. Um, you know, the Spider-Man uh, life story, Grand Design. Um, I think modernizing it is good. You know, presenting it in a smaller, more concise package. We talk a lot about the difficulty that exists in trying to if you want to know everything about Spider-Man, right? Like, if you want to read... It's, like, literally impossible. Yeah. Um, But you can read Life Story, which, you know, won't... It's not going to recount every single thing ever, but it will give you... If you read that, you'll have a pretty good understanding of, like, what he's been through. Similar with Grand Design. Grand Design, um, it's actually impressive how much content Ed Pisker fits into those books and how accurate it is. And how, um, really, just how much knowledge you can gain about the X Men from reading it? So I would really love to do a book club on that. I haven't read it yet either. Well, yeah, maybe we'll. I'm do
1: personally that. very excited for uh, Chris Sabella's Grand Design for the Comics Pals, um, or as he's going to call it, the <laughs> Pals thing.
0: The Pals.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um. So, Paper Girls. Has been ordered to series by Amazon, so we're going to be getting a Paper Girls television show. Uh, Fucking so, Amazon,
2: man! They're spending a lot of money lately.
0: Yeah, pa- Paper Girls is a book by Brian K. Vaughan and Cliff Chang. Uh, it's about what it sounds like. Uh, <laughs> it follows these these girls who've got a paper route, and um, you know, there's some weird stuff. Going on, um,
2: it's got like a very like Stranger Things, like Goonies kind of vibe. It's yeah. like set in the eighties, like like light, like heavy sci fi in a light setting. You know that kind of thing. Um, so if like if that's your jam, it's you know it's right up that that vein.
0: Yeah, I think that I think that uh, this is the perfect time for a Stranger or <laughs> Stranger Things, a Paper Girls show because Stranger Things is so popular, you know, 80s revival is the thing now and I just think this is awesome and and I'm so happy for this creative team, you know, because they have put in a lot of work and um, it is a really good book, I think it is on its way towards its end. It is. I don't remember when but we talked
2: about it not that long ago I think that it, I think it's winding down finally
0: yeah and uh, this is gonna be produced by legendary TV so the Le- so uh, legendary entertainments TV uh, side yeah division so um, they've done a lot of great stuff too so this is exciting.
2: Then this is the second Amazon series in production right now based on an image book because they've got that Invincible cartoon that's due out I think next Obviously, year. Obviously, no as one well. cares about that. But um, y'all, I'll I live close enough now, Phil. I'll drive over and kick your ass. <laughs> Fine, I'll make you watch X Men: Dark Phoenix or whatever.
1: No! <laughs> um, my here's my thought, and this is just I'm coming. I'm speaking from ignorance here. How popular? Are Amazon's original shows? I can't think that they have the same kind of hits Netflix has had.
2: The only one that I can think of that's like notable is uh, "Man in the High Castle" or "High Tower" or whatever. It's that alternate history thing where, like, what if the Nazis oh, won yeah. World War Two? And that was like a big deal. And then wasn't "Transparent" them too? Like, I know that ended up getting ended because it was, I think, of Jeffrey Tambor and some controversy of him being a dick. But. Uh, I think that was them too, and that was like a, a popular show. So I don't think that it's like they have a lot of big hits, but they've had some stuff with critical acclaim. Or like the tick was them that got canceled too.
0: really quickly. That got cancelled. Yeah. Wasn't wasn't the handmaiden's tale their their No, thing? that's
2: Hulu. Got it. Um but similar, right? Like they they're I think on the same level as Hulu where they've had one or two hits, but they don't have the consistency that Netflix has. But they've been spending a lot of money on original content right them now. It's, a,
1: it's like, all right, well, let's put another quarter in the vending machine.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I think they're starting to take it more seriously, though, because like obviously a lot of people have Prime for the mm-hmm. delivery thing. So you get these shows for free. All you need to do is get people engaged.
0: Yeah, I think, I think uh, all you really need is one transcendent hit, you know, um, and they haven't had that yet. But... Netflix didn't, and then they did, and now they're Netflix. You know? Um,
2: yeah, it wasn't until like House of Cards and Orange is the New Black really hit when it was like, oh, okay, this is a place for pre- like premium content.
0: Exactly right. So I mean,
1: this I, honestly, Sean, you really kind of, to me. You hit the nail on the head with talking about this '80s revival, Stranger Things popularity. Uh, this Stranger Things was like so big for for Netflix uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a real opportunity for something like that for for Amazon.
2: Mhm. And there's like obviously proven talent there like BKV you know is good and I, you know like he's got TV experience and I think he's involved the EP level, right? Uh yeah. Yeah. So I I think there's a real chance for this to come out and be good and and like maybe really be a big hit for Amazon, especially if it's timed right. Cause when you think about like stranger things is, is still really popular, but like there's only one more season and then it's done and people will be looking for the next thing. And if this scratches that itch for them, like, and I think it'll probably be really popular with girls and, and young women because it's got four female leads, you know, like it's so it's like, I, I feel like there's a real, like there's a real chance for this to come out and hit. Millie
1: Bobby Brown's next project. <laughs>
2: Yo, I would be so about that like.
0: <laughs> I think she's Fuck. tied up with stranger things for the foreseeable future.
2: Well, yeah, for at least one more.
0: Yeah. Um So, I want to talk a little bit about the Joker movie. Why is so, so serious, man? Todd <laughs> Nice. Uh Todd Phillips has been doing the rounds and he spoke to Empire And he said that uh, this movie's probably going to piss some people off. Um,
2: I think the way he's talking about it is pissing a lot of people off, too. Yeah. So this is a a
0: quote directly from uh, the article. He said, we didn't follow anything from the comic books, which people are going to be mad about. We just wrote our own version of where a guy like Joker might come from. That's what was interesting to me. We're not even doing Joker, but the story of becoming Joker. It's about this man. Um... Now, first, I want to say that I'm excited for this movie. I saw the trailer in theaters when I saw um, Spider-Man, and uh, it's so good. That is such a good trailer. It's one of my favorite trailers, I think. Um, but I really don't like the way. I don't like what Todd is saying. And um, I think at, at a certain point, it does do a disservice like you're trying to be cooler than the room by saying, "Yeah, you know, we don't need to make a Joker movie based on the comics. Um, you know, we're gonna do our own thing, and it's gonna be cool." And you're gonna be pissed. You're gonna be pissed. But you know, we don't care. Like, yeah, I, you know, chill out.
2: I agree. I think it very much comes off as like edgy. You know, it's yeah. like you're like you're like you said, you're too cool we're too cool to make a comic book movie, but it's like, that's what you're fucking doing, you know? So I don't know, like, I don't have a problem with that as a as a reality of the development of the film. I'm not mad that they're not following some established Joker storyline because there's, like, how many established Joker storylines? Like, I'm fine for another new interpretation. I'm never against that if it's good, you know? Um, but I think, like, it it feels like what we... what the criticism that you and I always levy at the Fox movies, right? Where they're like embarrassed to be comic book movies. Like, it feels like you're like, you're like kind of talking down to the audience that has familiarity with the character. And it's just kind of like, why, you know, like why is that the, the tone that you're taking? Why is that the way that you're choosing to talk about this thing that like overwhelmingly the community has mostly been pretty positive about, I think. You know, there's yeah. a lot of people who think it looks stupid, but there's a lot of people I've seen who think it looks you great.
1: You guys just haven't danced with the devil in the pale moonlight before. <laughs> and frankly, we're going to find out how this movie got its scars. This movie is very um. damaged.
4: <laughs> All right.
2: You know what, man? I, I feel bad now. I actually criticize him. Do you think his father might have been a bit nice. of a drinker? <laughs> nice.
1: Was he a fiend? <laughs> <laughs> I like that, Pete. a little fight, I like that
0: uh, yeah, do you have a real take? I don't film? care um,
1: I really don't like it, it looks good. I honestly don't mind that they're not taking anything from the source material other than their own kind of you know public. Zeitgeist of what they're understanding what the Joker is. I'm sure they've seen movies. I'm sure they've read a couple Batman comics. Like they, at this point, most people have a a picture of what the Joker is in day The Joker is so pervasive in our entire culture, uh, just as much as Batman is. Uh, Like,
2: especially like 11 years ago. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So like, I have no issue with them doing their own thing because it's a there's a really good chance here that they have a really inspired movie to tell, like a story to tell in this format. Uh is it what what they said very much uh to uh, the the cool kids in the room kind of uh, uh flexing? Yes, for sure. Um but you know what? They could be assholes that are making something really good because that happens a lot in
2: art all the time. Oh yeah. So yeah. this isn't this doesn't, like, make me any less excited for the movie. That's
1: yeah, shame, so you know? are, are your criticisms about the dickishness is completely, like, I completely agree. It doesn't dissuade from my opinion of the movie yet. What will ultimately dissuade my opinion of the movies if the movie's not good.
0: I would hope so. <laughs> no,
1: you know what? Even if the movie's bad, I'm going to be like, you know what? I loved it. Th- those guys were dicks. <laughs> I just kind of into that thing.
0: Mm. So, uh, we're going we're gonna to review Event Leviathan number two in a moment, but I do want to do our pals oh, before that. Make sure we get that in. Um, so, for this week, Pete chose Spider-Man Life Story number five.
2: Yeah. So, Sean actually mentioned this earlier in the show. Uh, this is a book that's being worked on by Chip Zdarsky. Um, oh, you know what? I, I Let me look up the rest of the creative team so I can name drop them too. Um, unless maybe you want to do that, Sean.
0: Yeah, I'll look it up. Um, great.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Um, so this is a book that I was interested in when they originally solicited it a while ago, uh, but I had a conversation with, about it with uh, a friend of the show, Matt Murphy, and he uh, said that he thought it would really specifically speak to me and what I like out of, of Spider-Man stories, especially at this age in my life. Um, so I, I, I've been really interested in this one, especially now that it's winding down. I'm like ready to, to jump on and, and, and give it a read because I want to just do it in one sitting. It feels like a book that's better for a trade, I think um, it's
0: uh, Mark Bagley. By the way,
2: there you go. Um, so yeah, so great, great team there. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really excited to dive into this one. Chip, but that artist is such a
1: hack. I'm just teasing. I'm Joshin.
2: <laughs> just hit that vein. Yeah, right. Like, come on, man. <laughs> Invincibles
4: dead. <laughs> Why? You just come on! Like, <laughs> I'll
2: come to your house and shit on Grant Morrison. Dude, damn. Grant's in another dimension. Uh, you can't shit on him. <laughs> yeah, I he can. He'll cast a spell on me. <laughs> Except he wouldn't. He'd come out of a wormhole and be like, it's fine. The universe is love. He'd, he'd be like, oh, the universe
1: needs this shit, you know? It helps. He sounds like a beetle. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so from Phil, we've got Jimmy Olsen, number one. Yeah,
4: yeah, oh, this yeah. is really
1: exciting. This is that uh, Matt Fraction picture. book. And honestly, like, it feels like the most appropriate Matt Fraction type title. And you know what? I think this book has the potential on face value alone, obviously, because I've never read anything outside of what, the Event Leviathan number zero, where it's like a little bit sampled, you know? Uh, I think this kind of book on concept and talent could be a kind
2: of vision type book. Yeah, I think there's a real opportunity for it to be that kind of uh, of a hit because of. Like like you said, it's just like there's not a lot of Jimmy Olsen stories in modern memory, you know? So, like, if you can come and hit with the right creative team, like, there's a chance to make a real statement on that character. Yeah,
1: and you guys read All-Star Superman. You saw what Grant did with Jimmy Olsen. That's the kind of shit that was happening in a lot of Superman... Or, I guess, my pal... Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, comics in the 50s. That's the kind of thing Fraction could really do here in a kind of modernized way. Yeah,
0: this this is a book I'm really looking forward to after that Leviathan Rising special.
2: And then is. When's the lowest book? That was last week.
0: It's already or out. this past week. Yeah. Oh,
2: okay, right. Okay, cool. I'm gonna uh, jump on those. What was that? I said I gotta jump on those.
1: I
0: really yes, just heard absolutely. you. I They're really thought
2: you
1: said that's John Stamos. And I'm like, all right.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's chill, I guess.
2: You're like, shit. John Stamos is right in the lowest lane huh? book. Damn, wow. Okay.
1: <laughs> Everywhere you look have mercy
0: (laughs) wow I like that Uh, so I chose Uncanny X-Men number 22 this is actually what Sabella was referring to earlier when he mentioned that they were closing out the X-Men continuity to sort of do something else so Jonathan Hickman's run is impending it starts in two weeks And this is the last time that we're going to be able to read the X-Men before that happens. It's not entirely clear what to expect from Hickman's run, whether or not it is a clear reboot of the entire X-Men history or it's just a soft relaunch or what. Like They really haven't given us those details, but I've personally been loving what Matthew Rosenberg has been doing with Uncanny X-Men. I know that... You know, some people don't like it, but um, I do. And it's very different than what's come before. Um, and that makes it feel fresh because the X Men have been stuck in a rut for so long. So I'm a little sad to see it go. I knew it couldn't last because too many people have died. Um, and there's just been way too many changes to characters. So obviously, this was not going to be something that could be considered canon forever. Um, but. I can't wait to see how they wrap it up. So, uh, that's that's me for the week. Nice, yeah. All right, so let's talk about Event Leviathan number two. This is DC's big summer event book by Brian Bendis and Alex Maleev. Uh, you know, we've got this team of detectives trying to figure out what the hell is going on with Leviathan, um, and uh, yeah, so it, it, you know, it picks up after after it actually no. kind of doesn't pick up after last issue it it's kind like of it skips picks an issue. up in a weird place but yeah it, f- it feels it feels very much like there was a 1.5 somewhere i don't know if that's what lois lane Maybe number one ever. was but it wasn't solicited I'm, that I'm way i'm glad you guys Not felt that way too yeah. i was
2: kind of thinking i was like did i need to reread this issue like am i forgetting things because it really did feel like there was a big gap
0: yeah um I, re- I really don't know. I mean, I'm looking right now at the solicit for Lois Lane number one, and it kind of makes me feel like it's possible that we missed something because it says, On the road on the road and out of Metropolis and carrying a secret that could disrupt Superman's life, Lois Lane embarks on a harrowing journey to uncover a threat to her husband and a plot that reaches the highest levels of international power brokers and world leaders. So, maybe... It's possible, right? Um But, but the I'm,
2: fact that it doesn't say anything about Leviathan in that, you know what I mean, like leads me to believe it wouldn't be a tie-in.
0: Well, no, it's it 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 almost guarantees that it relates to Leviathan because later on, it talks about a there's a conspiracy, there's um okay murder. Uh. If it feels it feels like there's Leviathan stuff going on. Maybe I there is. I looked
1: isn't. up a checklist just because I was curious, and obviously the first thing to read outside of all the context of the action and uh, Superman stuff is obviously the special, then Event Levi- Leviathan number one, and then Action Comics number ten, twelve, and then Silencer number eighteen.
0: Random. Um, so I guess the,
2: yeah, I guess the lowest is his yeah. own thing.
0: Maybe it was. Maybe it was uh, Action Comics then. But either in way, a, in any event, I personally am more inclined to believe that. This is just the way that Bendis is choosing to tell the story.
2: Yeah, I I got that impression myself. Um, And I was kind of frustrated by it because I think, you know, I was one of the more cool uh, opinions on issue number one because I felt like Zero was really good and I got really invested and interested in the story. And then I feel like I felt like one kind of felt like it pumped the brakes and took a step back to, like, give us more context, and then it feels like this issue, like, leapt forward. And, like, I like this issue better than issue one, but I'm not digging the pace of this, you know, like, as an event. it, it It's
1: a weird... Okay, so a few thoughts here. One, this is spinning off of a Superman book, and this entire issue is mostly Batman characters. What So it felt like a platform... For Bendis to say, hey, I want to take over Batman when Tom King's off. Um, which, uh, after reading this issue, I don't know how I feel about Um Secondly, there's no lazier way to do like a book with all these detectives, because obviously it has Plastic Man and The Question, than just have a lot of exposition explaining what happened to these characters with like a kind of flashback sequence. And it's like it was really a fun motif in detective stories when everyone tells you what happened before without following detectives and finding out what they're finding out at the same time. Because that's the appeal of a detective book is you want the mystery to unravel with you, not be told what's happening in the past. So it's just it's very lazy, kind of exposition heavy. And there's a lot of Ben to speak. I, I just this for this being his first major DC event. It. It feels mailed in.
0: Yeah. I I hate to agree with that because I like I've been vocal about being super excited for this. But there's something off about this title so far. And the like there's there are things that definitely work in, in issue two. Like so far, every time I've seen the Leviathan character, I've been like excited he still has a presence about him there's still this air of mystery that makes me uh intrigued every time he's on the screen and that's the mark of an effective villain so yeah that's working he kind for of me. looks
1: like a hellboy character honestly like a like, a,
2: like
0: oh i feel I, like I, I feel like
2: he looks like a demonic power ranger villain like it's like if a power ranger villain got, like, possessed by, like, an evil symbiote or something. You know? Like, he's got this weird armored look, but he also looks kind of organic. That kind of
1: like, sounds like a Hellboy villain.
2: <laughs> I guess, yeah. Um,
0: Either but, way. But even the conversation between Batman and and uh, Jason... or Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was, yeah, it was Jason. No, yeah. It it was, at least. Yeah. Is, is a little... The dialogue's a little stilted. I... I
2: I thought it was less stilted than his the Batman we've seen from him the last two issues, but it was still weird and robotic. Like he's very like
1: my, stiff. my genuine criticism I I levy toward Bendis now is so when he wrote Ultimate Spider Man and Daredevil, he felt like he was a writer trying to like you know start, he was hungry and and it felt like he actually interacted with real people, but like now and it feels that way in this. It feels like he hasn't really talked to people. <laughs> And he's simulating conversations in these books.
0: Yeah. So the other thing um, was that I just don't feel like Batman would be so transparent about his assumption that Jason Todd is Leviathan. Like, it was clear to me from basically the beginning of the conversation that that's what he thought. And... I feel like Batman is better than that at what he does.
2: Yeah. Um, And I felt like Jason picked up on the fact that that that's what was happening. And then he just sat there
0: anyway. Well, because what are you going to do? But then when all the other heroes come, like would Batman really just attack this dude? Like, you know, like, yeah, he's a son to you. You've been through hell together, you know, it just feels out of character that Batman would be down to attack him. Um, I understand they're questioning everyone, but you know, that's it's just, just weird. It's very, very strange. He didn't he didn't attack Steve Trevor, yeah. right?
1: I I will compliment Jason Todd's design, looks really
2: cool. Yeah. Yeah, dude, uh it cannot be said enough. I think I've gushed about it every time. Alex Malieve, dude holy shit the work he is doing on this book is insane it is insanely good i think it's like it's worth showing up for the art alone you know like the fact that like i'm with you sean where like i'm still interested in leviathan enough to want to keep pulling on the thread but like the art is just such a treat that it's like the issues are still enjoyable even when they're kind of a mixed bag in terms of dialogue and and like moment to moment execution, but like when the big moments work and the art's really really good, it's like, well, I'm still on the hook. I don't I don't hate this. I'm not not enjoying yeah. it. Right. You know, it's just I don't love it. You know, and like I
1: just he's, like. He's it. a really decorated talent because obviously you know Daredevil and Moon Knight and everything else he's done. He's he's a really obviously um, the art makes this yeah at least passable.
2: There's just a grit to it, you know? Like, the way he, like, like puts, like, film grain on, like, every scene, basically. It's, like, it just feels so alive, you know, and, like, and like electric. He's just, like, the Phil of comics. Just truly
1: talented at what he does.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, and then the jumping around. There was a lot of jumping around to show us uh, different scenes and things like that and um it just it, it created a book that feels more confusing than good and you know we we talked earlier about you know whether or not um you need to handhold your audience and i don't think you need to handhold certainly not um but it just felt like there wasn't anything to grab hold of
2: yeah i don't i don't feel like it's like I don't feel like it's that it's not holding our hands, I feel like, or that it's even, like, withholding information that we are going to get later, and then we'll be like, oh, you know? I feel like it's very much, like, the pacing is so off that, like, I feel like I have whiplash, you know?
1: Put put another way, this book is all,
2: like, this book's all tell and no show. Yeah, like, I feel like, I, like, like I said, I feel like we kind of hit the brakes and then lurched forward, and it's like, oh, like... The, you're just going to tell me all this stuff? This feels like the meat of the event. Like, this feels like the stuff I should be getting to see, right? Them trying to solve the mystery know. and, like, this team of detectives working together. That was the thing I was excited about. Not all of them showing up on a rooftop to be like, here's what we found out, suspect. You know, it's like... Okay.
0: It's, it's almost like what, you, like what you think you like about uh, mysteries. What you think you like about mysteries is... The part where they go to who they think the suspect is and try to, you know, subdue them. And then they're like, wait, no, it's not me. And then you learn another clue and that takes you forward to the end. But what you really love about mystery stories is the interactions between the characters. Because those are are the cool parts. It's like everyone suspects each other even while they're working towards figuring out who the 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 individual is who actually committed whatever it is. And Bendis is missing the point. The point is, I want to see Batman and Lois Lane try to solve a crime. I want to see The Question and Green Arrow, you know, try to solve a crime. And
2: I feel like The Question was the only time where we actually got any real detective shit, where it was like... And granted, it still wasn't presented really the way I wanted it, but, like, the whole him in the hospital scene and everything like well, I that was that the was, best part yeah exactly that was the that was the best part because it was me
0: and uh, you know again every time someone talks to leviathan it's always so good um but yeah it, 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 the other thing that i'm feeling is like this book is missing issues not like not like there's literally missing pages but like it feels short it it feels short, and by the end, in a bad way, I'm like, wait, that's it?
2: hmm Yeah, I was like, oh, I'm already at that's, the end, huh? That's a okay. bad feeling for anything. Is that it? Yeah. And and you know, it's, like, funny, like, I had the exact opposite experience when I read um, Test, Sibel's book, where I, like, read it, and it took me, a, like, you know, probably about the same amount of time, but I got to the end, and I was like, man, that was dense, and it gave me a lot to think about. Whereas this, I was done with it, and I was like, okay, guess, I guess we'll see if there's more meat to this next time. But, like, the, I've, you know, as an experienced, seasoned comic book reader and an event reader, like, if the first issue, I'm willing to give it that, right? The, okay, it's the first issue, we're setting things up, let's see where the meat is next issue. And we got to the second issue, and it's kind of more of the same, and I'm kind of like, uh, so I'm probably going to get four more issues of this at this point. You know, where it's just kind of like summing things up, and then at the end we'll be able to say, on paper, this is what happened, but it won't have been a very interesting journey. Yeah.
1: It's, like, it's like the opposite right. of the Heroes in Crisis dilemma, where it felt like there was too much, not like too many issues, where he had to pad it with just filler. Just shit that had no consequences and just retracing at all. and retreading things we already knew.
0: Unfortunately, yeah, I I do I do feel that same way, um, but I I don't think what happened.
2: It did the, the The thing about retreading things, it reminded me of that bit, and I think it's like the second or third issue of Crowded, where like they meet those hacker kids, and they're like explaining the plot over, and the main character Charlie's like, uh, I know, like I get it. You don't need to tell me again. Like I read the book, you know. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's pretty funny.
0: Um. <laughs> I don't think that this book can't pick up. I don't think that it can't still wow me. Um, we're only two issues in, but some of the I guess cracks in 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 Bendis are starting to show some of the things that aren't so great about him, or at least about his writing style, are starting to kind of peek through. So um I'm I don't hopeful. hate this I'm the hopeful.
1: same way I hated um, uh, Heroes in
2: Crisis this early on, so that's a good
1: right. sign. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah.
2: I, I still don't feel like negative about it overall. I just like like if I, if we were gonna like assign a number grade, I'd give this like a like a hard five or six. You know, it's very much just like this is a book and I read it. The art's really good. You know, and, like yeah. But, but I think that the point that you're making, Sean, is a really salient one because Bendis, to his credit, has laid interesting threads. He's put an interesting cast of characters together. He's established an interesting villain. There's stakes that feel legitimate, and there's a ticking clock. Yeah. So there's elements here for a good story, and maybe we are still just in the setup phase and he's taking his sweet yeah. time. Like, that's possible that he could stick the landing. He's got four issues.
1: Yeah, uh, that's kind of what differentiates it from Heroes in Crisis, where from almost the word go in that book, it's like, who cares? Why do
2: I care? You could tell it was just falling apart. Where
1: here there is at least a sense of intrigue of one, I want to come back and see more and read more and see what happens. So there's that degree, which is essential in a mystery kind of detective book. So
2: um, I have to say, too, I wasn't. I'm not super familiar with the character, but I, w- I was pretty into the way he wrote Plastic Man. I thought that his scene with Leviathan was fun, too. Good old Eel O'Brien. It's good that he's back. Yeah, I'm see- I'm curious to see what he does with him. Yeah, I, I felt like he got that voice down for, m- for me better than his Batman.
0: Yeah, he just... I guess Bendis just kind of has a weird... Um, he sees Batman in a weird way, but... Um, so we'll be back with, uh, event Leviathan number three, whenever that drops a month from now. Um, don't really see this book getting delayed. Not like, um, Doomsday clock. Uh, another book. Yeah. Doomsday clock, which was delayed again, by the way, it's killing me, man. It's, it's just insane. At this this guy point. Got uh, it's going to get canceled before
1: the last issue.
0: <laughs> could don't, you imagine?
2: Don't fucking joke.
0: <laughs> but, uh, yeah, if you're reading event Leviathan, Write in, you know, let us know what you're feeling about this book. Is it working for you? Um, I mean, it's working for me to a degree, but we talked about, you know, some of the problems that we, we do have with it. Um, so let us know how you're feeling about it. Uh, there are plenty of ways that you can reach out to us. Um, you can get us on almost all podcast hosting platforms at the Comics Pals. You can leave us a like and a review uh, there in a share would be great as well. If you want to throw that on your social media pages. Um Speaking of social media, you can get us there at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. And you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. We will have some reader mail for you guys, listener mail, sorry, for you guys next week. And I will also have a story about everybody's pal, Steven.
2: <laughs> oh, my God
0: yes yes can't wait to hear it so uh little tease for next week but in the meantime let's do some plugs pete
2: thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of the comics pals if you want to connect with me i'm at loud underscore pete on all social media platforms so if you want to come chat with me about uh anything that we talked about today really um come hit me up and uh, I'm always down for uh, a chat with one of the listeners, so come hit me up or go follow me on Instagram and check out cute pictures of my cat and stuff in South Philly. <laughs> uh, beyond that, uh, you can find some of my work over on Loopots.com, where I host uh, their weekly Nintendo podcast, the Potscast, as well as our Patreon-exclusive show, After Dark. So if you want to listen to me talk about Nintendo... Uh, or, you know, this week's all about Pokemon, that kind of stuff. Uh, go check it out and show your support there and
1: get as well. His, uh, make sure you buy his Gamer Boy Bathwater. It'll help the show a
2: lot. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You can hit up Phil about that, though. He's the distributor. <laughs> I'm just the talent. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs>
0: what about you, Phil? Um,
1: well, Marco told me to tell everyone to check out his new website um, called www.meatspin.com. So be sure to check that out.
0: Oh,
2: what? I don't know what that is, but please don't go go there.
1: Don't you go don't?
2: There. No, I have no idea what that is, but it sounds bad.
0: Wow, you wow,
2: wow. that's
1: shocking,
0: that is shocking. Considering that you're like an internet guy, person. Yeah. yeah, I've not so heard this of is about ethics. Like
1: two thousand seven meme culture. Um, yeah, don't go there, listeners. I advise you against it. So don't listen to Marco. General rule of thumb: you should never listen to Marco Anyway Uh, And then Kale of course You can find uh, We kind of put him in a retirement home recently in Texas Um, So you can go visit him down there It's called Rancho Relaxo Uh, So go check him out there Um, He's still trying to figure out the social media thing And as for me uh, You can find me at Cyborg Bebop on Twitter and Instagram
0: So I want to say thank you again to Christopher Spello for joining us he is at Xtop on Twitter, X-T-O-P, and you can find his work, you know, wherever you buy your books, but specifically from ChristopherSabella.com, where you can get your stuff signed and all that jazz, and uh, support him directly. As for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram only, at Soapbox. Hit me up to discuss... Uh, Extreme Rules! Anything. comic books. No, let's not talk about Extreme Rules. So with that, we're the Comics Pals signing off. Take care, guys. See
2: you next week. Bye! Oh, man. My back is killing me. I'm Kale.